Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Great double feature for you today. We're going to start things off with Steve Bryant. Steve is an old Word Balloon friend. He's got a great aviatrix character that he's done for many, many years, Athena Voltaire. Uh, he used to do it with a collaborator. He has uh, gotten all the rights back himself and uh, spent a brief moment at Dark Horse Comics with Athena, but has found a new home now, Action Labs, and has the whole Athena Voltaire library there. You know, think 1930s aviatrix, uh, foreign intrigue, two-fisted hero, beautiful woman, uh, but very capable, and, uh, and a great heroine for the 30s and even for today. Uh, if you like, you know, that kind of foreign intrigue, I'm a big fan, the Indiana Jones style fair, Athena Jones, uh, or rather Athena Voltaire, fits the ticket. I'm sure Athena Jones would as well if uh, Indy had a daughter like uh, Athena Voltaire. Or maybe you married Athena Voltaire. That'd be a great crossover, man. He's got to talk to Disney and make that happen someday. But that's okay. Brand new story arc with Action Labs. But we talk about the character. We talk about uh, the library of Athena Voltaire, which also includes Pulp Stories, which of course was the original inspiration for the creation of Athena Voltaire. And, uh, you know, just Steve catches this up. We also talk about uh, uh, Ghoul Scouts, which is another uh, fun uh, adventure uh, horror comedy that uh, Steve is part of. And we talk about that. So that's a great uh, start to Word Balloon. It's uh, the first conversation on today's show. Second conversation is with my buddy Tim Seeley. By the way, both of these were recorded yesterday, Friday afternoon, uh, Christmas weekend. Um, I was feeling... Uh, uh, that those were really uh, uh, great episodes, and I really wanted to get them together for you for the Christmas weekend, and uh, a great way to, uh, if you're commuting and you need something to listen to, uh, I think you're going to enjoy the stuff we talk about. Tim and I had lunch yesterday afternoon in Chicago, and sat down and uh, talked about the business. Um, I think Tim has uh, more insight in terms of uh, the stuff that we've discussed recently with Ron Mars and Jim Zub, and will uh, tell you his creator-owned comic adventures with uh, the series Revival he did with Mike Norton, with Hack Slash that he did on his own and with the many collaborators. Hack Slash is uh, back. Teeny Howard, great, uh, wonderful writer who is uh, also doing Assassinistas uh, for um, IDW with the great uh, Gilbert Hernandez. And uh, Teeny is going to be writing Hack Slash. Tim is editing it. He talks about his role at uh, editing uh, this creation rather than just uh, you know, overseeing it. He's had others write and draw a hack slash for him in the days, but uh, where that uh, relationship has evolved, and as always, this is kind of the dream that another creator picks up your creation and adds something to the mix and has uh, a fresh perspective with the character. So we talk about that. Tim is doing a lot of stuff for DC and Vertigo. We talk about his uh, various projects. Of course, he had an epic run on uh, Dick Grayson in particular, both in the book uh, Grayson that he co-wrote with Tom King, and then also his own run with on uh, Nightwing, with just which just wrapped up for DC Rebirth, and uh, further has moved on to Green Lanterns, uh, the the uh, team up book with the young new Green Lanterns of Earth. Uh, that's a book that he took over for Sam Humphreys, and Sam has uh, in kind taken over Nightwing. So we talk about that. Uh, he's doing Constantine right now, has a great new Vertigo series that he talks about, and uh, Tim's got a lot on his mind, and uh, it was great to share it with him over a meal and uh, get some of these thoughts uh, recorded on the podcast, because again, I think it's just valuable information for both uh, aspiring creators and consumers, because a lot of times people say, oh, why did my favorite 
book get canceled or why doesn't DC or Marvel just do this? And Tim provides a lot of the answers because he's seen the belly of the beast. He knows how to work with these companies and also make his own books as well. Um, truly one of my favorite guys, uh, both as a good friend that uh, I've known through my years covering the comic book business, but also just another one of those high-concept guys like a Matt Fraction or a Rick Remender that whenever Tim tells me the pitch for a new series, I immediately start smiling and going, that's a great idea. I can't believe no one else has done a book like this. And thankfully, that leaves room for the people like Tim Seeley to do it. So uh, it's a great conversation. Tim Seeley is part two of our talk today on Word Balloon. All brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much, League, for your support via Patreon. Uh, I know that there was concern about Patreon for a few minutes, but I think that uh, they have, uh, you know, rectified things. They listened to uh, the consumers and also the content providers and said, please don't change the way you take money from our subscribers. That's stupid. We didn't want it. We didn't ask for it. And uh, we don't like it. And luckily they responded and said, okay, we heard you. We're not doing it that way. So thank you again for subscribing to Word Balloon via Patreon. Uh, you go to patreon.com slash wordballoon or go to wordballoon.com. Click on the Patreon ad. It will take you there to my Patreon page. And do you, do you like Word Balloon? Do you think Word Balloon is worth the price of a comic each month? If you do, and if you can afford it, subscribe to Word Balloon. Thank you very much for the support. It makes it easier for me to go to conventions and uh, make the connections that I need to to upgrade the equipment and uh, hopefully provide you with hours of uh, fun entertainment each month here at wordballoon.com. Thank you very much, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon, as you know, is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Now, let's face it, folks. It's Christmas season. It's Christmas weekend. You're going to have a lot of gift cards. You're gonna, you know, uh, you got the relatives that just hand you money. You might have some extra money for, you know, books that you don't normally have in your pull list and graphic novels that you might have considered in the past. Uh, think about InStockTrades.com because that's the place to go to great, great books at great prices, free shipping if you spend $50 or more, and uh, they know what they're doing. And there's a whole crop of new uh, graphic novels that are available now at great prices at InStockTrades.com. Reach back for New Teen Titans Trade Volume 8, the classic Wolfman Perez run, and right there on the cover, we got the marriage of Donna Troy. Pretty neat. She marries her man, Terry. And everybody is there in uh, full uh, wedding regalia standing up for uh, the new power couple of the DC Universe. This one is uh, 45% off, $10.99. You can get the Jack Kirby Fourth World Omnibus hardcover. Uh, how many pages? Wow, 1,536 pages. This seems to have everything. So you, you might want to check it out. 45% off, only $82.00. And fifty cents. Now that's a big ticket item. There are uh, smaller but uh, equally significant books. Uh, there's, uh, for instance, Black Hammer Volume Two: The Event. Uh, this is the second volume. Um, Dean Normston, who uh, I hope is recovering from his injuries, our buddy Jeff Lemire, who will uh, be coming soon uh, back to Wordland to talk about this series and more. But uh, man, I love Black Hammer, and I love uh, its spinoffs like. Uh, Dr. Frank or Sherlock Frankenstein, and uh, everything that's happening in this book right now. Pretty neat stuff. But uh, this is the second volume, 45% off, $10.99. Deadly Class, Volume 6. I mentioned Rick Remender earlier. This is his book with Wesley Craig. Uh, tremendous uh, story that continues to be entertaining. This collects uh, 
volume or uh, issues 27 through 31. It's 45% off. It's only $9.34. Come out uh, to uh, InStockTrades.com and you will see more books at great prices that are waiting for you. InStockTrades.com. All right, without further ado, let's pick up our conversation now with Steve Bryant. It's great to welcome him back and have a chat about Athena Voltaire and some of the other things that he's working on to forward his career. But I'm a huge Athena Voltaire fan and happy to know that a new arc is starting in February. It's in previews now. Let's talk to Steve Bryant about Athena Voltaire and more on Word Balloon. Steve Bryant, welcome back to Word Balloon. Always a pleasure, my man. We we go way back. Do you... I want to say your first word of balloon might have been 2006, probably definitely probably 2007, but pretty early on, man. No, I th- I think you're right. I think um 2006 sounds about right. Uh it would have been when the first Athena Voltaire stuff came out through Speakeasy. Very cool. And here we are now, you know, 11 yeah, years yeah. later. Uh and I'm glad that uh, Athena Voltaire has found a new home in Action Lab. Yeah, I'm I'm just cutting down publishers left and right, uh, <laughs> leaving them in my wake. Uh, no, um, <laughs> sorry, but yeah, uh, Action Lab is a, a, a just a, a great home for us. Um, we uh, we were at Dark Horse briefly mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, under an imprint called Sequential Pulp, but uh, the imprint folded when. Uh, the uh, the founder of of it, Michael Hudson, uh, passed away unexpectedly. So ah. uh, we were really glad to land it at uh, at Action Lab. That's cool. So um, the new now is it going to start? You know, as floppies and then become an eventual trade. Is that the plan? What's coming out in uh, February? It's in the, it's in previews now. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, the first issue of uh, the ongoing series. We we did a Kickstarter campaign. Um, Gee, I think back in like April or May, uh, to kind of put put down some seed money mm-hmm. for for the ongoing, um, and then uh, yeah, the, we're we're launching that in February. It's a four issue story arc, uh, and then we'll go to a trade, another four issue arc, another trade, cool. and see how long we can we can run. I'd I'd, I'd like to kind of build an audience and and tell a. a a longer story this sure. time. Do you see yourself re-release? I know you that at the Dark Horse imprint, you had just you did an omnibus, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> we kind of remastered it mm-hmm. uh, because yes. uh, Paul Daly, my my original collaborator on the book, had had left, and I had checked with Paul and said, "Would it be cool with you?" Because he took his stories, he took his uh, contributions, yes. and I asked him if it would be cool if I rescripted the existing artwork. And uh, yeah, that took me a hell of a lot longer than sure. I thought it would. Of course, it would. but yeah. Um, yeah, so we've we've got all that stuff in print, and that uh, compendium is available through Action Lab. Oh, very uh, good. That was my question. Very good. Yeah, yeah. So so that's available. We've got a. Uh, a trade of the first mini we did when when we went to Action Lab called Athena Voltaire and the Volcano Goddess. And uh, this month, we, we just had a prose book come out um, of just pulp stories that are illustrated called Athena Voltaire Pulp Tales. Cool. Um, also also <laughs> through Action Lab? Yeah, also through Action Lab. Uh, the book's like a murderer's row of of writers, though. Um, I'm going to cheat and just 
read off the back cover so I don't leave any, anybody out because I don't want to be a dick. But uh, Tom King, Karina Beckow, uh, Gabriel Hardman, Eric Troutman, Will Pfeiffer, Genevieve Pearson, Dirk Manning, uh, Michael May, Caleb Monroe, Mike Oliveri, uh, October Crifasi, Mark Mason, Chris Murren, uh, Ron Fortier. Oh, Ron Fortier. Awesome. Green Hornet Ron Fortier. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Elizabeth Amber Love, Ryan Schrote, uh, and Brad Kefauver, who I've known for decades. So, yeah, it's, it's a good batch. That's excellent. And, and yeah. a, lot of, a lot of mutual friends in that list, including uh, our dear friend October Crifasi, who we go back in our uh, radio days and everything. And uh, I've been very proud of her. She's, uh, she's been on Word Balloon to talk about her various uh, productions that she's done story-wise uh, in in their most recent years. Uh, and I remember when she was writing that for you. So I know that was a lot, that was another one that was like long time coming and I'm glad. Look at all the people that you have now and you know you got a lot of these people too. I mean, you know, Piper obviously was doing his thing already, but uh, you know, you got Tom, you got Tom pre-Batman obviously and pre-Vision, I believe for that, correct? Well, yeah, actually um <laughs> Tom Fowler hooked me up with Tom King sure. uh, for um, his first prose book, Once a, a Once Crowded, crowded Sky. Yep. Yeah, I, I did the uh, comic book style lettering in that book. I didn't so, realize that or remember that. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So because um, I had known Fowler through uh, Comic Twart. Yep. And then, uh, yeah, I, I met Tom King then and we hung out at uh, a bunch of, of cons. Uh, he he was always super cool, and it's kind of amazing to me to to just look at his career trajectory. Sure. Jeez, absolutely, man. So, well, so yeah, thing. I mean, and you, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, well, that's the thing I was going to say. You you obviously saw it first with Once a Crowded Sky. It's a great novel, and listeners, if you haven't picked up King's novel, it's been a while uh, since Tom has been on. I try to get Tom on probably twice a year or so. And uh, I, I know we had a conversation in the summer before the War of Jokes and Riddles began um, that I, I think right around the time I think the Batman Swamp thing had come out and when Bruce asked uh, Selena to marry him and everything. And then we went into the war. But, uh, yeah, I, pick up Once, in a, Once a Crowded Sky. That's a, It's an excellent, excellent book. So very cool. That's awesome, man. And, yeah, Fowler's the one who introduced me to Tom King as well at a New York con years and years ago. He should get, like, some kind of cutback. Fowler, yeah, something, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, finder's <laughs> fee, exactly. That's good. Or uh, I don't know if you know. Here's a fun fact in boxing: uh, Jim Braddock, who uh, was, of course, the Cinderella Man, as depicted in the Ron Howard movie, the champion before Joe Lewis. Part of the deal to give Joe the title shot was Braddock got like ten percent of Lewis's purses uh, for oh. I forget how many years, but he made a lot of money uh, from Joe Lewis fights and everything. It was it was not wow. a bad investment. So it was it, you, so you're saying it was like national periodical publications yes. doing the newsstand distribution for Marvel or Atlas. Yes, that's good. Oh, very good. So nice. Well, well, tied hey, it's in. a comic show, baby. Come I'm on. With you. I'm with you. Have you been watching Kirkman's uh, AMC uh, comic book di- uh, documentary series? I, I've got them DVR'd, but I haven't gotten around to it. Um, I, ju- I I went back to school uh, like a year ago, so I've been a little busy. Uh, I just finished up. Yeah, I finished up my semester, so now I'm catching up on comic stuff and you know, non-school. What were, what were you studying? Um, I'm getting a degree in arts technology, which is kind of uh, you know what STEM is, right? Yes, of course. Um, well, it's like. 
Yeah. It, oh, STEM is uh, science, technology, engineering, and math. Yep. And uh, arts technology is kind of uh, like STEM for, for arts. So uh, it's where music and uh, graphic design and illustration and uh, live performances and all these things kind of come together. It's it's video editing and sound editing. Terrific. Uh, with, with the idea that, you know, all the these cross disciplines will kind of intersect, like if you're doing uh, – if you're putting together a website and you're putting on audio and video, you're going to have to know how to mix that stuff. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. So, um, well, and for your own purposes too, obviously, I would imagine that will help you if you wanted to make a an anim an, you know a little animatic of something of, of Athena doing her thing or something. Uh, yeah, yeah, and actually, uh, like next semester, my my independent study <laughs> project is going to be to create a web comic. That's great. And uh, if I can keep pursuing uh, the program, um, I, I can do more independent studies. So I would like to, you know, go past the creation and web design to set up the the site, and then you know try to build it over social media and maybe eventually crowdfund it or, or something like that. Cool. So. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of a nice thing to be able to to take my <laughs> take my school stuff and bend it to what I you know want my career stuff to be. Sure, well, that's great. Can you tell us content wise what it's about the webcomic or it's still too early? Um, it's yeah yeah uh, it's it's called Maximus Rex W R E C K S. It's a love letter to really stupid post apocalyptic nineteen eighties movies and and rock videos i i love the the sensibilities of all that stuff so um yeah i you know i i want it to be somewhere between john carpenter and walter hill uh nice direct di directing a, a billy idol video or a dockin oh, video oh that's Just some of you see my my thought immediately was of the post-apocalyptic rock videos was uh, tom petty's you've got you got lucky Oh yeah, I mean that—that's a prime example. You've got just—I'm talking more from a visual point of view with, sure. yeah, the the petty stuff or the uh, uh, the Duran Duran stuff. Yes, nice. Uh, Billy Idol. You had Dokken and Crocus, and you know. Now help me just the Billy Idol. What was the Billy Idol post-apocalyptic videos, or just uh, in general, just their just general aesthetic of white wedding yeah, and the, stuff like that? Yeah, well, I, I think the general aesthetic of. Uh, uh, dancing with myself, you know, um, to rewatch and I mean, yeah, well, some of it is also just kind of the, the eighties clothing, Oh yeah. you know, That's once Blade true. Runner, once Blade Runner hit and you had like all the quilted stuff, yes. you know, no, happening, right. it just seemed like all, all that kind of merged. Yeah. Torn so, leather too. And all that. Yeah. I'm with you, man. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. So, it. Okay. That's so it's, funny. It's, it's just going to be a big, dumb love letter to, uh, to stuff like that. So cool. it'll be fun. That's awesome. Very good. Well, let's get back to Athena. So what is yeah, this, yeah. What is this new story? Tell us about it. Um, by the way, I feel like I'm super congested, so I apologize. Pack away, son. It's all weather. right. Okay. Love is our friend. Okay. So uh, <laughs> this episode yeah. brought to you by Mucinex. Go on. <laughs> I got nothing. Okay. So the uh, the first arc is uh, Athena Voltaire and the Sorcerer Pope. And it deals with, um, like, according to legend, Pope Sylvester II uh, 
was a sorcerer. What, he what, would, what era was Pope Sylvester from? Jeez, was he that I'm not medieval even sure. or or is the okay? So obviously medieval. He wasn't some guy right before Pope Pius, for example, who was a 20th century pope, for example. Um, yeah, he would have been. Well, here, yeah, here it says uh, 946 to sure. uh, to 1003. Oh, very uh, good. Okay, there you go. Oh, that's a good run. He had a long run. Yeah, as yeah. Pope. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, like. Some of the weird uh, legend surrounding him, he was allegedly given a uh, a large bronze head that could foretell the future. Hilarious. He was given this by by like nine unknown men. So when I I, I read that legend and I, I've wanted to do something with with this for a long time. So yeah, uh, that's uh, the first arc. Cool. And I'm writing it and doing covers. And then uh, Who's it? I, uh, a guy named Ishmael Canales. And uh, yeah, he's so much better than I am at staging like big action okay. sequences. Okay. So yeah, I could punish him for that talent by giving him crazy shit to draw. Very so cool. So it was and, good. And you obviously did the Kickstarter to give him the seed money to get started and everything. Yeah, yeah. Action Lab is kind of managing all the 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 day to day finances of this. So uh was the Kickstarter their idea, or did you do it prior to them getting involved? Uh, the Kickstarter was their idea. That, that's how they like to do uh, an ongoing. So, yeah, I, I was the uh, face of the Kickstarter, but they're handling fulfillment and all that. They that's get the terrific. money. That's great. So, yeah. Well, and I know, I know um, Jason Inman and Ashley Robinson did it for Jupiter Jones or Jupiter Jones. Yeah, yeah. Right yeah, and I mean, it does kind of make sense, uh, especially if you're having to pay an artist like Ishmael or our colorist, uh, Emily Elmer. Lovely. Uh, so yeah, I, you want to be able to make these payments and you know how hard it is for, uh, an indie book to find uh, its footing. And that, that's sure. not like, I'm not trying to whine about it. It, it's just a reality of, of yeah. the way that things work. So if you can find a way to, uh, mitigate some of the risk, to be able to get a publisher to say, "Yeah, let's absolutely let's go with this." Uh, why not? Did I'm assuming you made the deal with Brian over at Action Lab? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget Brian's last name. Forgive me. Uh, Seaton. Brian Seaton. I've met Brian at a couple uh, conventions. Seems like a really good guy, and is certainly greenlighting a lot of our mutual friends uh, for books. And I think Action Lab is trying to, you know, again, yeah, rise above the the noise. That's out there, and yeah, it is challenging, man. Everyone, everyone knows that it's it's the best of times, it's the worst of times. There is more great product out there now in any decade that I can remember, and I'm sure you feel the same way. But obviously, that comes with the price of there's a lot of competition as well, so it's tough to be heard and tough to be noticed. Um, but that's excellent, and I I do like the idea of uh, kind of a proof of concept Kickstarter first thing, and that uh, you know again that you're getting the uh, the backing to to make this happen. So okay, so four issues of uh, the Sorcerer Pope, and that yeah be, yeah that's the first arc. Very cool. And I'm uh, halfway through writing the uh, the second arc, which is uh, the Golden Dawn. So it, it kind of starts to build on on some of the uh, the the Sorcerer Pope stuff because cool. uh, since the the Action Lab 
relaunch. Uh, I've been trying to build kind of the bigger world. You have obviously the Nazis mm-hmm. and the the Thule Society going after uh, all these arch uh, artifacts and stuff. Right. And then you've got the uh, British uh, Special Intelligence Service who also wants that stuff. Sure. And then we've got uh, this um, – mysterious American collector that Athena's working for who wants, you know, these same things. So it's kind of a, I, I'm, I'm trying to build some, <laughs> some trust issues into it all. So, and just to, uh, to tell a bigger story. Sure. So yeah, it's, it's kind of fun. It, it's uh, a new challenge. So I'm, I'm digging it. Well, you always have me at uh, foreign intrigue and especially 1930s foreign intrigue and, you know the the Indiana Jones kind of realm, uh, but certainly a realm that's been around for decades, well before Indiana Jones. And you know, you and I are big fans of those monogram and poverty row movies that would do these uh, Frank Buck bring them bring them back alive kind of movies, well before Indiana Jones. And uh, and also oh, yeah. too, you know, you gotta you gotta you know, kind of a great female aviatrix as your as your lead, which I think uh, fits the zeitgeist now, and we want more women heroes. And yeah, man, Athena Voltaire's been there for. Low these many years, and, uh, and you've got a huge body now of stuff beyond the new stuff. So that's what I really like is you. There really is this great Athena Voltaire library available to really get into the character. Oh, thanks. Yeah, and yeah, I you know I, I love obviously the the Indiana Jones stuff is a uh, uh, a nice touchstone to to tell people what the book's about you know it's there there's an equal amount of the rocketeer in it or uh i love like the rapid fire banter of uh like the thin man movies you bet and ideally i would love you know to get that kind of vibe going with with this stuff except you know athena gets the the william powell lines but well, um, that's you know that's kind of like brenda star and now i'm blanking on her male counterpart he was played by timothy dalton in the oh yeah Brooks yeah Fields movie and i can't i'll look it up while we're talking uh but yeah i mean that is i understand it is kind of tough uh, chris pine had that prop well i think they succeeded with the way they did steve trevor in the wonder woman movie where chris pine didn't get in the way of gal gadot being the hero right right and yeah i mean it's it's a tough thing because you're you're gonna get some part of fandom that will always bitch I, and i shouldn't say bitch i'm sorry that's that's, that's too much correcting yourself you're 100 right because they no, have but a, they have a story in their mind and your story doesn't match so they find a reason to complain but go on well <laughs> yeah well you'll you'll get a part of fandom that will always uh look at um a hero as a Mary Sue, you know, sure, you, you sure. get it with, with Ray who, who, uh, from star Wars, right. who is essentially the same kind of level of ability as, as Luke. Of so yeah, I don't, I don't know where I'm going with that, well, but that's what I'm saying. Uh, no, I, I, that's the fear that you're creating a character that might be a Mary Sue. Athena Voltaire is no Mary Sue. And, and certainly, and, um, yeah, well, and I always think of a Mary Sue as, walking into an established universe and it's, you know, Ensign Jones saves the day rather than Captain Picard saving the day, if I can always lean it back to Star Trek. You right, know, I mean, right. That's a Mary Sue. Uh, Ray, granted, is coming into the Star Star Wars world, but again, you know, is it the only new character? And it, this is a new generation of heroes. And yes, it, they are bumping into 
the old guard and gladly that that's happening and stuff. And I guess, you know, we were talking off the air about what people are complaining about regarding The Last Jedi. You haven't seen it yet, but yeah, I mean, I think it is, that is clearly where some of the hate is coming from. Of, you know, hey, I want to see more of Luke. I don't, I don't give a damn about Rey. And it's like, well, yeah, but, you know, Luke is 70. <laughs> However old Mark <laughs> Hamill is now and everything. And still, oh. still great and we love him. But, you know, no, it's, you know, you gotta, sometimes you gotta pass the baton. No, it's a it it's a good point. So, yeah, but yeah, I'm I'm psyched about seeing the movie. Yeah. So uh, it's Christmas Day for us. Nice. So I, I've got the tickets. We're we're set. That's cool, man. Yeah, you know, and we're we're recording this on Friday uh, before Christmas and everything. I'm lucky that I saw it on Wednesday because you know, yeah, everyone's busy, man. I, you know, I love. I don't get me wrong. I'm thrilled for the people that like are right there. You know, the night before at midnight on what Thursday watching the movie. That's awesome. But there does come a time when it's like, all right, well, I got to pay the bills. I'm actually have to work today. I'll have to find a day that I, I'm not working to see it. And and it's tough on social media too because everybody immediately wants to start talking about it. So it's a it's a challenge. Yeah, it, it's weird. I have not run into any any spoilers yet. Oh, so I maybe I just know really polite people. I think you obviously do because yeah, someone blurted out what they felt wasn't a spoiler, but I'm like, well, uh, I didn't know that was going to happen. So thanks, I guess. Yeah, but it's nothing to do with the story. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> Well, you clearly don't think so, but whatever. Uh, but anyway, back to Athena Voltaire. Uh, again, great great library of stories. I look forward to reading the Pulp Story. You're going to have to fire me a, a copy of that because I would love oh, to. Oh, absolutely. You know me. I love all that stuff. And again, well, back to our original point. Do you envision creating a male character for her, or is, is she better to be kind of on her own? And, you know, maybe the... Uh, male uh, co-star du jour might be better for her and let her, you know, continue to hop from bed to bed. I'm, I'm kidding about that, but you know, <laughs> well, no, I, I think there, there is uh value in having uh, possible suitors. Um, and yeah, I, this, this latest arc, we are seeing a bit of, uh, uh, relationship building and okay yeah that, that's kind of a scary thing to to try to write because i don't want to uh i don't want to blow it because yeah. i i want to make sure the the characters are uh strong sure. on their own and that no one is you know a prop or or anything like that so yeah yeah um by the way basil is um or, yes or basil but yeah i'm, I'm gonna go with basil like faulty and yeah, that's uh, that's Brenda Starr's uh, man in her life. Man, I saw that when it came out because it was a comic movie. What? That was you know we we didn't have many in my day. So I'm with you. God, I can't I can't remember anything about it though. Well, you know, and and to be honest, it was um, a Chicago product. It was created for the Tribune, Chicago Tribune uh, Comic Syndicate, and it was set in Chicago. And also, uh, the last writer of it was a great uh, Tribune uh, writer, uh, Mary Schmeek, who I've never met, but we have mutual friends. And she was doing both Brenda Starr and uh, Orphan Annie. And I'm really interested in talking to her uh, until they were discontinued in the in the 2000s. And I really am interested in talking to her if she'd be willing to hear about you know kind of the 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 last decade of of 
you know, adventure strips. I know, I know there are still adventure strips being made, but certainly the comic strips are not what they were. And, right. and certainly the, the, the last decade of theirs was, uh, you know, in the, in the two thousands. And a lot of them did end up, like I said, they, they stopped writing them, which really sucks. So it, I'm, I'm fascinated by the stuff and Brenda and also orphan Annie as an adult, pretty, you know, and a, a written by women or a woman, Mary Schmeek wrote both, but also very much, you know, good, like female lead led, Adventure stories. That's all I got. <laughs> I, see, yeah, well, I I wasn't familiar with any of that in in the last you know decade, so I I just know them from the the classic runs. Sure. Dale Messick but, and uh, Messick, rather, excuse me. Brenda's well, yeah, that, and of, of course you remember who was uh, assisting her for a while, right? You mean well, Mike Rell? Mike Rell was assisting. Dale Messick. Uh, Dale Messick, yeah. I didn't know that. No, I had no idea about yeah. that. That's amazing. Wow. Oh, oh, there's another reason to talk to Mike. Wow, that's cool. I think it was before his uh, his DC stuff. Wow, that's amazing. I do know that Ramona Freyden took over for a good number of years, wrote, uh, assisted from 1980 to, and then took over the the uh, strip from uh, 85 to 95. Oh, that's cool. I didn't or know actually, that. Actually, 82 to 85. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, man. So, um, yeah, pretty neat stuff. And I, um, yeah, you know, and God, she's amazing, Ramona, obviously. Um, no, I, Brenda Starr is pretty cool. And again, I think, a, you know, kind of a comic strip sister to Athena. Definitely. Oh, yeah. I mean, there there's all all kinds of, you know, little things in, in the character's DNA. I, I, I think there's a lot of Valkyrie from Airboy. Sure. Because that that was one of my gateway drugs to uh, independent comics in the eighties, uh, the Dave Stevens cover, in fact, and that oh, God, that yeah. got me right into that series. Totally, man. Yeah, unconscious Airboy at the feet of Valkyrie and stuff, and her ready to make her big move. Uh, no, I love, and, I love that Eclipse Weekly series of Airboy. That was fantastic. Go on. Oh no, I, I was just going to rave about the the Stevens cover because. Um, he managed to make it look like Dave, but like Valkyrie's face looks like Fred Kaida, how how the original Airboy artist, Very cool. how he would draw her. So, yeah, God, just well, you know. what a freaking master. Yeah, and we've you and I have talked about Dave before <laughs> on the podcast and everything, and I know you have a couple of mementos from Dave's estate when, when he passed away. You were able to get some yeah. really neat little things. Yeah, remind people of some of the Dave Stevens uh, stuff you have. Um, yeah, uh, a reader was really kind enough to, uh, to get me this art deco note, uh, notepad holder, uh, from the, the Stevens estate sale. And it had like a, a certificate of authenticity, but he knew how much Dave's work, uh, meant to me and he picked it up on auction, uh, fairly reasonably and, and gave it to me at San Diego. Wow. It was it was a real treat. So yeah, I, I I'm obviously a, a nerd for you know Stevens, Mark Schultz, Al Williamson. Yes, you know those are my guys. Well, and I know in the case of uh, Schultz and Williamson, you, you didn't you, you you got a chance to meet Al, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, a friend of mine was uh, sharing studio space with him That's in. In the early '90s, and yeah, I got to hang out at their their Honesdale, Pennsylvania studio for a day. Holy shit! So it, 
it was cool. Yeah, I bet. Have you? Are you aware? I uh, right before the holidays, I started to try and track him down to come on Word Balloon. But are you aware of uh, Cullen Murphy's uh, new book about uh, the height of the comic strips and uh, and a cartoon cartoon village cartoon? And I'm going to look it up. Also, again, if- was there? Was there like an excerpt of that yes. uh, online maybe a month ago? Yeah, Vanity Fair. Well, Cullen's, Cullen's day job is he's an editor at Vanity Fair, and I think he did an essay about the same subject for Vanity Fair, and also it's obviously a great calling card for his full book. And I heard him, yeah, on, I, I heard him on Fresh Air with Terry Gross, and for people who don't know, Cullen Murphy sh- scripted Prince Valiant with his father, John Cullen Murphy, who uh, took over the strip from Hal Foster, and so Cullen or John Cullen Murphy was the second artist to do Prince Valiant. He and Cullen worked on it together. Then John uh, Murphy uh, had Gary Gianni assisting him on uh, on Prince Valiant, and then I believe it was uh, unfortunately I believe it was John's passing that where the script pa- or the strip passed to Gary as full fledged artist. Then Cullen, his son, you know, John's son, decided he didn't want to do it anymore. And Mark Schultz was scripting uh, Prince Valiant. I know you know all this. And Gary, yeah, yeah. Gary Gianni was was drawing it. And um, you know, Mark's been on Word Balloon, and he's a mutual friend of ours, and one of those go to guys every San Diego. I got to stop at Mark Schultz's booth and tell him how much you know I love Xenozoic uh, Zena, Tales and uh, and everything that he does from writing and and art. And yeah, he's he's a wonderful, wonderful guy, and you know him better than I do. But yeah, I'm always happy to take a moment and say how much I love Mark Schultz. So that's awesome. Yeah, amazingly talented and just a, a sweetheart of a guy. Okay, now wait a minute though. Uh, I'm going to bring John Cullen Murphy back around. Of course you are. To uh, to word balloon. Yes, indeed. Well, maybe, maybe in, more me specifically, but go on. <laughs> in the in the most John Suntress kind of manner I can. Uh, before he did Prince Valiant, do you know what uh, Cullen Murphy, uh, John Cullen Murphy, did? Oh, of course, uh, I did. Drew. Of course, I did. The great, <laughs> the greatest boxing, and I will say greatest because I think it is. Look, Joe Palooka and Ham Fisher. That's obviously one of the great. Uh, cart- comic strips of its time, and it's a humor strip. But if you want straight up adventure in the same vein as Rip Kirby and Secret Agent Corrigan and those kinds of you know Milton Kniff stuff and everything, you go to John Cullen Murphy and Big Ben Bolt. Yep, because that is awesome. <laughs> but I, I I just found it funny. I, I thought, of course, it'll come right back to boxing. Yeah, of course, it has to uh, come back to boxing. <laughs> Cartoon County is the name of the novel or the book that Cullen Murphy did. And it's available digitally, and it's available as well as a hardback. And yes, I read that Vanity Fair essay, and also heard uh, Murphy on Fresh Air, as I said. And yeah, just great stories about this uh, county in uh, Connecticut that was, you know, a commuter's ride away or drive away from New York, and a lot of the cartoonists, as they do today, you you yourself in Central Illinois, and. Some of the others, like uh, Scotty Young, is also down there, and uh, you know, I mean that that you know, one of the ways they're able to keep costs down and still pursue cartooning and stuff is living in a place within their means. And the, all these guys kind of lived in this one county in uh, Connecticut, and then it gentrified, and they all started to slowly move away as they got older or they retired there and stuff. And no, it's fascinating. And and Cullen grew up surrounded by 
a lot of these greats. I think Schultz was no, Schultz wasn't there. It was uh, I know uh, Mort Walker, Beetle Bailey, and Dick Brown. I want to say from Hagar the Horrible and uh, wasn't uh, go on. Was Alex Raymond out there? I I think possibly. I would think he was. Well, you know, I always forget when Raymond passed. Did he pass in the sixties? No, no, it it would have been. 50s. Early to mid fifties, maybe. Yeah, because I know, and I know too that um, Cerebus, and I'm blanking right now. Help me, uh, the creator. Oh yeah, Dave Sim. Yeah, Dave is doing kind of the the death of Alex Raymond very very slowly via Patreon, and uh, yeah, Stan Drake and uh, Alex Raymond and that whole story. So that's oh yeah, where Raymond took him out to uh, to show off his new sports car. Yes. Um, now, did you ever uh, read the – God, we're, we're, this is the – No, this show. is what we do. Go on. Uh, this is Word Balloon. The, Welcome. Uh, <laughs> the, the Tom Roberts uh, biography on Raymond? No. Our mutual friend Doug Claba told me how great that was, and I haven't read it oh, yet. Yeah, it's it's a really good book. And actually, Tom lives down here in in Normal. Yeah, yeah I did. I forgot. Yes, Illinois State uh, country, Normal, Illinois. Yeah, yeah. Very cool, man. No, that's awesome. You know, and shame on me. It's – I haven't gone down in a couple of years. I came for like a day trip and literally like went from the city down to Illinois State and got right back on the train at like seven that night to come back to Chicago and everything. But I mean, God, that that train stop now is right in the middle of downtown Normal. It's like you know a five minute walk to the campus of Illinois State, uh, even less, really. And yeah, yeah it's it- kind of perfect now to really get down to Illinois State directly. It's like a two-minute drive from my house, so next time you're here, I'll I'll force you to go to dinner. Absolutely, man. No, no, no. Absolutely. So yeah, I, I still have a, you and a couple other friends down in, in uh, Illinois State Country. So that's that's very <laughs> cool. Well, anyway, so you got all right. Athena Voltaire coming up. It's in previews now. The first issue comes out in February. So go to your shop and, and order it. And also, seriously, like do a deep dive on Athena. You will not be disappointed. Uh, all, all the stuff that Steve's been putting out with Athena Voltaire. I, I again, I, you guys had me at hello at, at when with your first uh, books at Speakeasy and stuff. So it's, uh, I'm glad that it's found a new home and we'll we'll keep cruising along. But you've got another uh, project in the works that I guess debu- debuts in March. Yeah, yeah. Um, also at Action Lab, uh, it's the second mini series of Ghoul Scouts. Uh, which is a book that I do with uh, I I write it and uh, Mark Stegbauer draws it, cool. and our old friend Jason Malay is coloring Lovely. it. Lovely, very good. Um, and yeah, it's pretty much a big old love letter to movies like The Goonies or The Monster Squad. Oh, fun! Kind of a it's a, a coming of age thing, like you know Sandlot or Stand Li- Stand by Me, sure. but with monsters. Which makes everything better. Um, so, the, it does. so the adolescents are monsters. Uh no, no. Okay. The adolescents are, are kids, and they're they're fighting, they're fighting monsters. monsters. Okay, very yeah, cool. very cool. So the the first uh, story arc uh, was Night of the Unliving Undead. Uh, so you know they had to save their their town from a uh, a zombie apocalypse. You know, like you do, uh, and they you know their their town Full Moon Hollow. Uh, has this this reputation for being uh, kind of the paranormal capital of the world, and you know, like Sunnydale on on Buffy, where uh, 
the residents just kind of ignore some of that. Sure. <laughs> uh, these kids are are like trying to get to the to the heart of the mystery. So that was the the first arc, and uh, the second volume starts in March. It's I was a teenage werewolf. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because we're, we're so hip there. with the lingo of the kids. What's that? I said we're so hip with the lingo of the well, kids. Well, exactly. For all the Michael Landon fans that uh, loved uh, the original I Was a Teenage Werewolf from the 50s. Absolutely. Yeah. It was either going to be I Was a Teenage Werewolf or it was going to be Tween Wolf. So, you know, I we, like Teenage we... Werewolf better. i got to be honest. It's That's – you know. I mean tween, tween Wolf is too on the nose and I think people will <laughs> – you know – Give you might give you more grief about that than I like the fact because you know it's that kind of classic I was right dot 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 which the fifties were filled with those kind of kitschy movies and everything so <laughs> well I'm I'm already writing the third arc which is UFOMG so <laughs> Mark Very Mark good. came up with that Very so good. so blame Stegbauer for that that's excellent uh, but uh, yeah it's it's a lot of fun to write something all ages uh, and. It's it's been kind of a real pleasure. I started uh, coming up with uh, the idea for it uh, when my son Chance was uh, like in Cub Scouts, so he would have been like seven. He's seventeen now. It it took a long time yeah. to find the right artist, and uh, yeah, yeah. When uh, I started talking to Mark about it, the the work was just great and i'm i'm psyched that we have the, the second story done and we're working on the third that's excellent man. very very cool thank you very very good no i'm excited for you and again this is uh this is a good time and i'm glad that you're taking the training that you need to to uh promote your your work and taking advantage of both the skills but also the platforms that are available now in the digital age so I think this is a good time for you and everything. Are, are you are you confident in terms of moving forward? Like you said, you're going to have the web comic coming out in the spring, um, right? Spring? Uh, probably summer. closer to summer. Okay. It'll it'll be uh, my project in a uh, a spring class. And yeah, okay. I mean Athena Athena started as a, a web comic, right? Of course. So uh, it'll be kind of fun to get back to that after you know having been away from it for like twelve years. Uh, so are you doing it? No, um, are you doing it independently, or are you going to hook up with one of these, uh, you know, webcomic networks that are popping up now? I don't know. Um, it's so weird because, yeah, uh, when I started doing Athena online, that was what two thousand two, I think. Sure. So I, I, you know, I'm I'm not in touch with with a lot of uh, how it works. <laughs> I'll probably have to ask some people, you know. Yeah, talk to uh, Norton and talk to, um, you know, some of the other guys that we know and women that we know that uh, are certainly, you know, taking advantage of these channels. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's it's been a long time since Scott McCloud was out there, you know, um, preaching, you know, the digital comics revolution and uh, and shame on me, I'm going to forget Penny Farthing, right? Or what was it? What was the or Penny Arcade rather? Penny Arcade and yeah, yeah. PVP when Kurtz was really just you know getting started with PVP and stuff like that. I mean that's it's amazing now you think back like you know obviously for you 15 years ago and stuff. I mean Steve Conley and uh, what was it called the sci-fi thing? Astounding Space Thrills. Yes, which I loved. Astounding Space Thrills was so fantastic. And well, and I mean 
Steve Conley was uh, an Eisner judge back in 2004 or five, and it's because of him that we had the uh, uh, best dig- best digital comic uh, as a category oh. in the Eisners. Oh. He's responsible for web comics uh, having an Eisner category. That's cool, and that makes sense. And and certainly today, again, because it's a different world. Yeah, web comics are very much part of the mix and uh, a great a great starting point for people. And, and again, you can kind of do your own thing. So yeah, that's interesting that you're going back to this realm. And uh, you know, well, again, with more skills, and I think it'll be interesting to see what uh, what you what you put out. So when you're ready in the summer, obviously. You got to come back, and uh, we'll talk more about this stuff. I will be glad to pester you, Steve Bryant. Check out Athena Voltaire and more from our guy. Uh, and again, uh, it's in the current previews. It'll be coming out on February uh, from Action Lab. Make sure you uh, talk to your local store and order your copy of Athena Voltaire. All right, uh, let's uh, pause for a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have our conversation with Steve Seeley right here on Word Balloon. All right, we're back. Uh, This is a fun conversation that I had with Steve Seeley just on Friday. As you'll hear, uh, we're in a restaurant, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk between bites. I promise no gross mouth sounds as we're chewing, but uh, you might hear a little uh, waitress and uh, customer chatter uh, as we're discussing the state of comic books, his own uh, creator-owned series like Hack Slash, and uh, also his new Vertigo series, uh, certainly a little revival conversation in there, and a lot of work that, Steve, that Tim is doing currently for uh, DC. But uh, let's have a new conversation with Tim Seeley now on Word Balloon. This is Rockwell's Grill. Is this where we are? Rockwell's Grill. Excellent. In lovely uh, Lincoln Square, Chicago. Indeed. And it's, uh, it's a lazy Christmas weekend afternoon on Friday, bef- the Friday before Christmas, and I have the great opportunity to... Uh, Hang with Tim Seeley. We're having lunch, and uh, we're talking about the business of comics. This started at a four-star Christmas party. This conversation, yeah. and I'm like, "This is good. Let's let's save it for the pod, man. So Stop talking." Started that party, and then have to be finished off later because you get really drunk and you don't remember anything you said. Yeah, totally. That's we can keep it up here, and I'll have only one beer, and it should be easy. Well, we'll start light, and let's talk about what you're working on right now. You're working on uh, well, first you wrapped up your run on Nightwing. Yep. That started with the DC Rebirth, and I know the the first arc in particular, Be a Better Batman. Yeah, better than Batman. Better than Batman, yeah, better than Batman. Um, yeah, so then I'm more gonna, I finished that up, I kind of traded books with Sam Humphreys, so Sam took over Nightwing. I'm doing Green Lanterns, the plural, with Simon and Jessica in it. Yep. And I'm doing Hellblazer. Yes. Uh, and I'm still doing my Vertigo book, um, uh, it's called Imaginary Fiends. It's like my horror sort of yeah, FBI, yeah, yeah. X-Files thing. And then I'm doing uh, Brilliant Trash and Aftershock. So it's like Five things going on at the same time. Wow, man! So, and we're we're doing hack slash. I'm kind of just editing, uh, acting as overseer and letting Teeny and Sea uh, Lord do their thing, which is kind of nice to just be the sort of spiritual guide. And like, I'm barely, I'm not really even an editor. I just tell her what to do what she wants, and then I, I organize and. So she, she's pitching stories to you, and you're like, yeah, do that, or yeah, maybe not that way. Yeah, or. That's exactly how we're doing it. Um, you know, just like. By design, giving it to someone without like a huge sort of heavy hand. Yeah, without a heavy hand, and just kind of letting it happen and seeing how it goes. You know, which is kind of a uh, more relaxing than I think. You know, than I would have 
maybe in the past I, I, I would have been a little bit more hands-on, but I, I, I don't know, I'm getting old or something, I'm not sure. I just I, I just wanted to see what she would do with it and kind of, you know, I, I'm, I'm old enough now uh, where, you know, like someone like Teeny kind of like literally to some degree grew up reading Hack Slash. Like she was 15, That's crazy. 16, That's she, fantastic. Yeah. What, a, what a wonderful compliment. And yeah. to see that generationally now happening, which I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Jesus, mean, thanks. I know, yeah. <laughs> it is weird that way, but it's also, you know, that to me, it's huge. She related to the character. You know, she was a goth girl living in the in a small town. You know, bisexual, all those sort of things that she related to and made her a fan are also things now that we can use to sort of reinform the character and, and, and you know, kind of um, she can put her life experience on it rather than, than me doing my own and we're trying to imagine things. And so, yeah, I think it's it feels more authentic to do it that way. Let her just let her live. You know, and show her life through this character that she grew up on, which is weird, but you know. No, I understand. Well, and actually matches the zeitgeist because certainly that's what's happening right now. Sure. Uh, women and people of color and everything are saying, well, it's nice that you created these characters. How about letting one of, yeah, <laughs> one of them start writing yeah, exactly. and drawing it? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, and I'll learn things about my own character. I mean, you know, I own her. Sure, sure. But I'll, that's great. It's though, informative man. to me, right? I mean, like, I'll get some value out of having um, a new eyes on it, right? I mean, like, after a while, you know, I, I worked on the character personally for, like, nine years, you know? So, like, and then, you know, kind of having a, a man. Stephen Mike did it for yeah, a while. Yeah, yeah stuff, who are some of the other people that uh, have done that? I, mean, I kind of let, you know, I mean, I've let various people kind of just have fun with it. And Sean Aldridge right now is writing the Vampirella crossword and stuff. But, you know, mostly I was pretty hands-on. And, and, you know, you get... You get a little bit run out of ideas, burnt out. Like you, sure. you know, sort of seeing someone else do something with it is maybe, you know, it will re-inspire me at some point or something. You know? Well, and, and further, it's that's the comic book tradition, man. I mean, people other than Siegel and Schuster did Superman. People other than yeah. Leah Ditko did Spider-Man. I mean, this is this is what happens. And if anything, what a, what a compliment sure. for the creator-own generation to have that experience as well and be in a position to say, yeah, I want my character to go on in the hands of other people. And McFarlane and some of the yeah. image guys obviously feel have, have felt that. But I think it's still a pretty small crowd, so that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, and it's also interesting because I think when when we started Hackslash, like I, I kind of felt like there was a there was a group of fans that weren't served, you know, like these sort of I would see these these kids, and I, I was one of those kids where it's like I was kind of into horror stuff and and, and all this, you know, and I liked sort of uh, cheeky sort of exploitive stuff, but I, I understood, you know, like the difference between that and and you know like something that was offensive, misogynistic, like, misogynistic or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever. Sure. And, 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 yeah, no side. Thank you. Oh, uh, oh, no sides in. <laughs> oh, I had. Uh, or no, I had the side. I had the slot. I think this might not be us. No. So, what do you guys get? Blue cheese? No. No, no, no. Rock table. Sorry. <laughs> All right, we're still running. But uh, yeah, I mean, and, and this kind of confirms like she has the same view of it. It's like you should be able to be sexy, but not be sexist, and you should be able, like all those things that I kind of felt at the time, and maybe it was starting to doubt as, as time's gone on, like, maybe I was wrong. But no, I, I think this is confirmation for me, you know? Absolutely, man. No, I'm, I'm really excited for you. And also, great to hear, we were talking about, uh, and, and this kind of dovetails in a conversation I've had with Jim Zub recently and, and just the market and where everything yeah. is right now. Because um, the, the big two have had 
scandal on their on their business side, yeah. and then also that kind of frustration from this new reader yeah. that has joined the party and yeah. said, "We want more. We want more books about girls. We want more books about color." And also, again, we yeah. want them to be genuine or in their authentic. Yeah, ex- authentic. Right, that's a good word. Exactly. So it is an interesting time right now, and it was cool to learn that you know you just wrapped up obviously revival and things are going good, but like hack slash is still like a, a like persistent seller for you. My, my point bringing up the scandals too is that obviously DC and Marvel are having that, so are people turning to create their own books? As you said, you initially yeah. did it to find this spe- specific niche that wasn't being served in sure. comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and maybe still isn't to a degree. I mean, there's a lot of there's comedy horror, but you know. Yeah, I mean, well, horror. There's a reason I think. It's. I think it's the, the the like the third genre in comics. Like superhero is the number one seller, and then sci-fi is like number two, and then horror is sort of number three. Sure. Maybe sometimes number two. But well, like clearly with Kirkman, you know, yeah. number one. Absolutely. <laughs> but you, there's a there's a sort of resistance on the hands, of, or at the part of like Marvel and DC to to really go all in on doing super, horror comics. I, it, it's and that's been consistent for a long time. You know, they'll dabble. They'll do like a sort of horror-ish superhero, but. It, it's weird, like, but Vertigo made it work for 20 years. Hopefully, we'll work, make it work again with my book. But, um, but it, it, it is a, a powerful genre in that people do buy those books. The problem is they're not the Wednesday crowd. So, like for a revival or Hack Slash, for instance, we would sell okay on the stands, but in general, our sales were bookstores. And to this now, my sales are completely about those bookstore sales. Sure. You know, and some comic book stores are selling trades, but in general, like. And Hackslash, the first omnibus, the omnibuses in general, sell up to ten times more than a floppy. That's amazing. The, the omnibus costs thirty-five dollars. That's amazing. But we did, you know, we would do like six thousand copies of of the uh, floppy. We've done sixty thousand of the omnibus number one. So it's a weird, you know, the, yeah. that crowd is there. They are there in numbers, but the comic stores don't seem to. Have their business based around these kind of right. I mean, well, they're not going to. They're, well, they're not all going to the direct market to buy their books, right? And they buy them on Amazon. I mean, like that's a huge. I think they're buying them digitally. Revival yeah, digital numbers it, are, yeah. are huge for us, um, and you know, it's not counted in part of the deal. Like. You know, when, when you hear stories about successes in comics, they don't talk about the digital stuff. They're, they're well, focused on... a lot of know. times, it's a smaller piece of the pie. Very very often. I mean, my, you know. my general rule on my on my superhero books is always that they sell about 30%, um, if that, of your print sales, right? For okay. superhero books. For, even for Nightwing or for you know some of those books, it's like 30%. Okay. But for my digital books, sometimes it was the same number of copies digitally. Your digital creator owned yeah. books are the same for the same number. Or even a weirder thing is our biggest seller digitally is the hardcover omnibus of revival. The hardcover. <laughs> which is not hardcover and Right. <laughs> and, but people would rather buy that version. Does it have price. and does it have the bonus content it that's has in the bonus content? Okay, fine. Well, so, hey man, but I, I, I have to charge more because in, when I put ahead. it in the bookstore, I charge more because I printed a hardcover copy. Well, right? of course. Okay. 
Which, what, what's the price difference? So it's there is no price difference. Digitally, I have to charge the same. Ah. So I'm charging thirty-five dollars for a digital omnibus that is right. not, in fact, hardcover. Right. But because it's the convenience. Convenience. Right. right. Dude, half of half of my comic purchases are digital. Half. And also, I'm fortunate to get review companies digital yeah. as well. I mean. Truly, in the last seven years, because it was around 2010 that the tablet really happened. Absolutely, yeah. And I remember Fraction telling me that at uh, one of the Marvel retreats, Hickman is yeah. the guy that's like really breaking it down, going, oh no, this is what it's going to look like on the tablet. Oh, absolutely. And he said we're, we were all like apes in like 2001, understanding yeah. smashing the skull with the bones. Like, oh, okay, <laughs> I get it, I get it. <laughs> Well, I mean, the thing is, though, and and then this is the other thing on the digital is digital sales have basically plateaued, right? Because the the sort of penetration of of, of that lapse reader or tablet or the, readers? the tablet, basically, the tablet. That's interesting. You though. only have so, so many on. people who are going to buy and use the tablet, right? And use it that way. Yeah, and sure. use it that way. Sure. So sure. We pretty much sort of. That's hit, interesting. Hit a, like. I would see my numbers for digital double every every two quarters. Uh, but let's say like through 2010 to like 2012, 13, let's say. I would see it you know, double, maybe triple sure, every time. Sure. Like the first time I got a Comixology report, I had sold like 80 copies, let's say. And then I would see it like triple, and then that number would triple, and then I'd see it, tri- you know, like it was going up. Right. And now it's sort of held steady. And sure. I think that this, which is, it's also why you see like, sometimes I see the defense of people, you know, like, um, like a book will get canceled by Marvel that they really like, and it was reaching these new readers, and Marvel will cancel a print version, print it, or the you know, the book, and people will say, "Well, it must have been done really well in, in digital." It's like that may be true, but that's not enough. Right? It won't cover the production cost. Cover the pro- and yeah, yeah. it doesn't. Sure. We. It's that we, basic. We're not selling that many. We're selling some copies, and it's all gravy, but it's not enough to support everybody. Yeah, may, maybe anybody at this point. I, I mean, yet. Yeah, like, it's just not. If that's the only way you're making the money, I, it's not enough. You say digital if that's the right, only way you're making. Amazon money. gets a cut, right? Right. Apple gets a cut like you're you have to share that money and it's not as much as I think people probably assume it must be you know is so it, if you simplify you know a three dollar book is it more than a dollar obviously that goes to these things uh, you get like no it's like it's like 75 cents or something I, the creator gets only 75 cents for that three dollar yeah, digital I price I don't know the exact but it's somewhere around that I mean, okay you're, you're splitting it in half right off the bat yeah I know I appreciate you like breaking down those numbers because it's, it's yeah, yeah I think that, I think that is a I think that is a question and it's something before we started rolling that we talked about how it's a, I think it's very easy from an armchair quarterback way yeah. to look at books to want to be part of the community want to make books and think yeah I understand that this is the way things have been done for years but it's got to change and it should yeah. change a lot faster and it should be a lot easier and they don't realize both the economic mechanics mechanics behind it yeah. or the you know obviously in some ways it is just kind of clickish institutionalized well I've always gotten talent this way and I'm still going to sure. get talent this way I don't yeah, know it's tough I mean we you know and we've talked about this before but it's like you know so every time there's sort of a new uh, a new fan base arrives you know and, and for for years we I think what comics was saved in the sort of mid 2000s by the influx of female readers absolutely uh, 
sure. and that and, and also by the the bookstore market and all that sort of thing saved comics from from going away. Um, you think so, it was that it was that drastic? Yeah, absolutely. I think that saved it more than the films or any of that sort of stuff because the films don't lead to comic sales. But the the female readers that you know they're. they're in general, that audience is just bigger readers. I mean, the, the sure. YA audience does exist without women. It just it just doesn't. So, but you, whenever time this new this new fandom comes in, which is amazing, they they rediscover the shit the last generation knew, which is the direct market sucks and it's fucked up, and the way that these companies do business is often ridiculous and stupid and nonsensical. And they rediscover this and go, what is this? And we all go, yeah, we know. I know. It's fucking stupid. But it's just this weird thing where it's like, and I, you know, when I came into it, I'm sure I was, I was doing the exact same thing. And the older guys were like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yes, we know. It's fucking shit. But there, there isn't an immediate way to change it because of how much everything relies upon the direct market to be the base from which we can step up, right? We, we can't switch directly to the bookstore market. We'll close all these comic book stores and we, that'll kill it. And there's all kinds of distribution things that are inherently tied to the way we do this business. And I think people forget about print comics is they have to be driven to a comic store in a truck, right? And so, like, that is so, it, it's so easy to forget, like, you know, I, I want to see us represented on the page, and I want to see creators. It's like, yeah, but here's the other thing. A truck has to deliver these things and charge someone to put them on the shelf, and they need to make money because they paid for them to be delivered. Yeah. And they need to use the shelf space they have, which is limited, to make sure that everything that has a facing sells enough to justify its existence. It's like this, it's, it's just so frustrating, I'm sure, for everyone, but it, it, in a weird way, it's like, I don't know how to get around that. No one has come up with a good uh, solution to this right. in a long time. Right. I mean, and I, you know, I don't, I think, yeah, you know, like, Marvel and DC certainly benefit from the existence of the direct market because it allows them not to have to seek out other venues to sell right. their comics. Right. Uh, which is not to say they're lazy. They do try things. Sure, it just do. doesn't Well, there's work. Disney Store. There's yeah. there's other kinds of right. licensed kind of things that aren't bookstores per se, but a place right, that they could do another retail place to sell things. Right. Exactly. And so it's always, but you know, and then there's always going to be, and this one it, it drives me crazy too, is because there's always going to be someone who says, well, why are you selling at Seven Eleven? Why are you selling at Walgreens? Why don't you have comics? And it's real easy. Why? Comics are too cheap. Exactly. They don't justify their existence. The, shel- the shelf space on these convenience stores. Right. Because, again, it's a different world. And, yeah. A magazine costs know. $7. Oh, jeez, uh, that's a cheap magazine. That's a cheap magazine. Right. Uh, 7 to 12 is like the price for a magazine. Right. Well, Entertainment Weekly had some big superhero thing that I saw in the supermarket line, yeah. and it was like an $18, like a 1995 magazine. It's crazy. And I'm like, I'm not going to spend that on a magazine. And, you know, you know, you know, the weird thing, too, is you know, magazines like Cosmo and stuff like that, they cost more to make than they're selling them for. The, the amount of journalism, the whatever, in quotes, maybe, and, and, yeah, the, and the printing, sure. and the, the, the printing costs, thank you, thank you sir. The printing costs, they're, they're, they're selling, that's why you open a magazine, the first 30 pages of, of you know, men's health journal is ads. They're making their money off the advertising. Comics don't have advertising. They have very little advertising. <laughs> very little, yeah. Yep. So it's like this weird thing. It's like, I, 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 I understand people's sort of doubling down and being like, 
how can you? How dare you cancel these books? And man, I have that happen to me all the time. How dare you cancel the book I was reading? How dare you cancel the book I was writing? <laughs> you know, and and being able to pay for my rent with. But there's there's all these other factors in there that are unfortunate about just the way the business is. You know. All right, we've had our meal, and um, Tim was just making a point during the meal that it's ironic because for decades, if you wanted to be in the comic book business, you really needed to be in New York. In fact, Colin Murphy, I'm trying to get him for the show. Do you know about his book? The card, the he was the scripter for Prince Valiant. His dad yeah, okay. took over for Hal Foster. John Colin Murphy, yeah. old comic strip artist, talked about that one town in uh, Connecticut. Oh, yeah. That a lot of the cartoonists settled in and everything. And everybody, Mort Walker, Dick Brown, yeah. all the classic cartoonists were there. Yeah. So, uh, and obviously it was the proximity to New York, but obviously a cheaper part, right. but it's still commuting. Right. I mean, that, that's true. Every, let's do Chicago. There's neighborhoods that have all the cartoonists in it because they're reasonably priced. Because we're not, no, nobody who does comics is super rich, really. Right. But that, like, I moved into an apartment above the studio that Jill Thompson and Tony Aikens used to share. Mostly, like, it's coincidence that I moved into this neighborhood that also James Asmus was my neighbor. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I didn't know James was here. He it was. Sounds. Yeah, he was. He oh. moved to LA, but yeah. yeah, when he was doing theater stuff, he was here. I didn't realize um, that. Jeffrey Brown, from where we are right now, lives yeah. about a block from here. Yes, he did. I used to see him there. Like, all the, car- all the Chicago comic creators, for some reason... It, they, we all settled here, just coincidentally. Yeah, Lincoln Square and Roscoe Village, and you know, kind yeah, of in that Albany same Park. area. Like everybody, Albany Park. Yeah, yeah. And it, because it, and it's also like it, it's hip, but not too hip, which perfect for cartoonists. Not, not hip, not super hip, but hip enough. You know, your artist, whatever. Right. Well, so yeah. yeah. Just, a good place to drink. You want a good place to get coffee. You want a good place to eat. So this, like, it just by without trying. When I moved here blindly, I moved right down the street from Gary Gianni. Like I, lived, I could see Jerry Gianni's house from my apartment, my, my first apartment here. Completely weird. I don't know why that is, but it's, it's you know, it's, it's always been that way. But we're just talking about location in general, about New York having been the place, and then starting around like the '90s. Like, well, actually, like by the time FedEx comes around, even before internet, people were living all over the place. Right. You know, you could hire people in uh, Texas, yeah, or Italy, or whatever. Right, yeah, internationally, certainly. And then, but then internet and FTP changed everything, right? So then, the idea was that you could, especially artists, I think more specifically, could live anywhere. But I think it's kind of going back around now to it's, it's becoming a thing where you, just, being on the coast is a huge advantage, one of the coasts. Because um, even and, and and more so LA, I think than any any place, um, because Hollywood. Is there and DC is there, and it, I think because you're constantly competing with people in other industries, writers, I think, is a big one. You're competing with screenwriters, you're competing with cartoon writers, and they're all there, all of them. There's not a single TV writer who does not live in Los Angeles, basically. <laughs> so, I it's getting harder, I think, to live somewhere other than the coast. It's, it's weird, and New York is even not even. Such a thing anymore because it, you know, Marvel and Archie, pretty much, as far as yeah. the big two, and, and also and just like, and really Marvel a, is you know there, but also obviously very LA. much in LA, yeah, and, and just like a lot of not a lot of creators who are interested in doing comics now live in New York, right? I mean, probably partially they've been priced out, but partially they all moved to Los Angeles, sure, know? because you can do 
you can do comics on the side and also then work a staff on a show or uh, you know have some yeah like the Benson sisters obviously yeah. you know writing the hundred and then also yeah. doing their DC work absolutely and that's you know I love those ladies yeah they're great they're they're my competition because they I understand got, they got that day job and like TV show and, and they're on the lot I mean that's the thing not only is DC specifically in LA but they're on the Warner lot and it, and it's that same idea of I'm sure a culture that everyone's at the same workplace and I'm sure after hours bleeds into that just like it did in New York for decades exactly yeah and it's just harder I mean we still here have sort of creative community but it has dwindled to some degree because we've lost people to Los Angeles sure you know who moved, actually who didn't specifically move to LA from here well, I mean that jerk Burnham I mean but we, oh I didn't realize Burnham's in LA now that's yeah, great he's in LA um, <laughs> James Asmus actually we just talked about okay there you go but, I mean a lot of the you know if, if you were you know it's like, I have friends who are comedians and uh, theater people and like they just lose their friends on a very regular basis you know like you're just they're just getting sucked up by a lot sure. of so I, I do see that kind of coming across in other stuff I mean it's hard if you don't if you're uh, a writer in Chicago there is no other there's no you're not going to be like staffed on a show right well no and it's funny because actually there is television production happening here no at, at, a, at a great rate but yeah. you're right no yeah, there, that's, yeah that's rare that's rare because I know Fialkoff when he was writing for Chicago one of the yeah. Chicago, Chicago PD or Fire yeah. or Med yeah that he had a you know a couple months out here but not a long time and yeah. it was back in LA back to the writers they, they, they keep the writers rooms in those sure. places you know yeah I mean you're right the production uh, jobs in Chicago have gone up for that stuff um, cameraman jobs editing that kind of stuff is done and obviously you know you, need, acting, you, need, you yeah. need that I mean I'm, you know I'm as I've told you I'm in SAG yeah. and I don't mean old man balls dropping SAG I mean actually <laughs> Screen Actors Guild now and uh, no you know I mean and a, and a lot of my friends who are doing part time broadcasting or whatever are like you know you can always be an extra and there's always those kind of crowd scenes and they're like you know it's a hundred bucks a day they're like but and it's all day but you know they yeah. do feed you and it's an easy C note and it's like very good yeah, to yeah. know that's a good point I mean and, and that that has changed since I've been here I mean I've been here for 16 years yeah absolutely man and the, there wasn't a lot of TV production here no not no 16 years ago absolutely not but yeah it's just weird like the creative centers the creative center has completely shifted to Los Angeles sure like it was it was doing that already but of course it's really sort of dominated well but now it includes the comic sphere right. in a way that it didn't before Absolutely. I mean even even in the Wildstorm years yeah I mean and they were down in San Diego just chilling you know like yep. just, yeah that's true I forgot they were in San Diego that's right but it's uh, you know I'll, I'll, I'll probably take another tea thank you very much but um yeah I mean it's and you know like I think the people who want to work in this job have to should consider where, where those things are sort of shifting around you know like I don't I don't see myself ever moving to Los Angeles uh, and if I do my fiance is not coming with me Paula's not she's not she's not interested in LA no she's, she spent enough time in there she's she like, just, she's not a California girl really I don't know um, and she just loves she loves Chicago. So that's a great so. city, absolutely. Yeah, but uh, that's why I stay, even though the weather and everything. You know. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's well. I mean, all the shit you have to really love this city. Well, you get it. You got it worse than Wisconsin. So if anything, this is like Miami. Tropical me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's interesting. I, I, I do think you know you're going to see more of that. I think as a business in the future, the shift towards that concentrated coastal um, location. You know. Sure. 
Now, you know, what we were talking about earlier about the direct market, because this kind of dovetails into it, what we were just talking about, too, there is that concern that, and it's something I mentioned before, we didn't really get into it, but like that Marvel and DC kind of have their problems, and so, uh, and, and so therefore this new flux of audience doesn't go to them for the comics they're looking for. Um, one of the things that came up at the Christmas party was the idea that because Marvel and DC are kind of having bad publicity moments, yeah. that it's driving people away, period, from, you know, from, from reading comics, where it's like, well, you know, I, whatever. Yeah. And, I don't, and again, based on what you were saying about your own success, it's not really affecting your books, as far as Hack Slash or Revival. Or, and I wonder, too, like, one of the problems that, that, that seems to happen with, with comics, you know, no one goes like, I am done with magazines. I'll never read a magazine again. I'll never watch a TV show again. Like, for some reason, we treat comics as this you know, this monolithic singular thing and right. it's like you're into it or you you have you know it's have either completely or sp- which is so weird to me yes like great like I'll see people get mad at um, at creators online and be like I'm, you know like this guy pissed me off or whatever right. I'm, I'm done I'm out I'm, I'm not done with comics right. which again is that weird thing we've made these things a special thing that you have to get in a special place and it, it by definition allows you to just be like I'm walking away from all of this you know the whole like, culture yeah and people again like no one says like I don't watch TV shows or I don't read right. magazines. Yeah, I didn't like the way Lost ended. I'm done I'm with done TV. With TV forever. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, so, it's such a weird thing. And partially, it's, we made them that because we made it uh, building the direct market. Right. Well, but again, the direct market was because the newsstand. You know, I mean, things were, I think, starting to sour. I think with the newsstands, right? Or maybe yeah. not. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, well, and again, that same problem of I can't afford this low-selling thing. Well, it's returns. Returns. Right. Comic, the reason you end up with the direct market is that everything in print that goes on newsstand has returns. And the direct market does not. And right. Publishers were like they would have a sell through maybe of fifteen percent, and and if you're really lucky, thirty percent or something, and then you would eat a bunch of copies, right? So you know, having the direct market, you sold the books, and that's where they went. And then they'd go to the back issue bin, and the retailer could make money on them later, hypothetically. Right. Um, which, you know, that's... We, we built this thing that... <laughs> that, that demands that the retailer eat it. Right, right. Like, right. So, um, yeah, because that's sort of a, that's that's something that the magazine industry or all these other things, you're dealing with an actual physical object, right? When you're doing a TV show, it's not a physical thing. You're not, no. you're not shipping a TV show. Right, right. right. <laughs> so it's just, we've made this complicated market that demands certain things occur. Like you said with the trucks and yeah. everything and then, else, and obviously. Then we, but then we're sort of caught in this culture war which we can't really survive because we can't like we can't cater to we need to cater to a new audience we need to make books for them but we we can't afford to cater to them for very long well or exclusively exclusively right exactly um, so it's just like this weird cycle that just keeps happening, you know. It's just, <laughs> but uh, I don't know, man. It's, yeah, I don't well, know I was, yeah, we were we were looking for the solution yeah, today. I understand. Right, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. of course, of course, man. I but, think but about again, these people all the time, need you know? right, and people need to know. And I don't mean to step on you yeah. there. So continue your thought. But that's the thing. No, people need to know. That's the other thing. I feel like people need. I, it's not sexy to have to look up why these things happen or or know this bullshit. But like when I feel like fans get frustrated or when 
in, I see them just like, why is it like this? Like, just know we we agree with you. <laughs> of course, we're, we're here with you. Yeah, we were already in the asylum, you know, yeah. surfing our time yeah. before you you got committed. Yeah, and we, and we and we wish we could change it, but I don't know how to do that. Right, I, I don't know that anyone has that solution. Yep. No, and it's interesting because I really did think that digital. I mean, there really was that fear in 2008 or nine with the with the iPhone and digital comics that oh maybe maybe the direct market's going away. Yeah. Which, you know, and I thought okay, fine, if so be it. But you know, I'm glad that it survived. And yeah, well, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's a weird thing because if we had completely switched to digital, then in that scenario, our numbers are really high. If, if there's enough digital to make this worth it, that means we're selling million copies, or right? Right, digitally, which we just never got to. Right. So, do I think would, 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 would Marvel, DC, and other companies abandon the direct market if comics sold a million a million copies digitally? Yes, they would have. Sure, because it would cut their yeah. production costs and everything. Yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely. Um, and I think you you know. In that scenario, you live in a world where comic stores are are bookstores. They're, they're bookstores, and they're like all the ones that are, still exist are like record stores, right? They're, they're community places where you bu- yes. you buy specific, like maybe they'll do a print re-release of a book, but let's mostly it's used stuff, and mostly it's, it's back stock, right? But there's digital stuff, and then then you would have a nice collection come out of, you know. A, a collected even, a box set uh, yeah exactly yeah. like in music terms obviously yeah well and again exactly. it's and the, that know. would be what we would live in with now right. if, if right. what we feared and I, I think that probably would have been okay I mean I think comic stores might be in a better place if we didn't have the way in direct market works now if we had something that was you were like a record store you sell hardcover copies of beloved stuff that people read on the internet want a physical copy of you don't have to buy monthly books and, and take a chance on it. I mean, it's probably better. <laughs> sure. like a bookstore. No, exactly. Absolutely. An independent bookstore, yeah. yeah. No, and also, much like independent bookstores, things like having readers clubs and everything. Yeah. I mean, the smart the smart stores have built these communities right. around their it's store, like and it's inclusive. Right. It's yeah. absolutely. Well, and even I think even further than what record stores were, unless they did become listening places of, hey, let's, you know, I'll yeah. get together and hear the new Dylan album or whatever. You know, yeah. I mean, there's there's a record store right up here on, I mean, down the street from here where we are right now, and they that do does that. that. They have listening clubs. That's great. Together, they you know, and then they it's it's built around this idea of community. That's what comic book stores be. Right, well, and they're doing it, and, and good ones are doing. Ones are doing it. You know, but they're you know, I think it's, it's the difference between then having to sling a bunch of Marvel books that your base fans aren't into, right? Like. Which is, you know, like Marvel sort of pissed off this weird contingent of like Retailers. traditional, well, no, traditional comic fans. Go on. Yes. And there's a very small, very vocal percentage of those sort of alt righty type people right. who hate the diversity stuff. Right. There's also just regular comic uh, Wednesday Warriors. Yeah. Who just aren't interested. In it. They right. don't hate it, they're just not interested. Well, and it was, you know, specifically with Marvel, I, I wonder if you agree, because I've said it before on one word balloon. Um, it was when well, Jason Naren was one of the exceptions. It, you know, because Jason would have all right, Jane Foster's Thor now, yeah. but you still know what the Odin son was doing. 
sure. Brian had that you know period where Tony was dead and right. just a ghost of the machine and Riri Williams was your Iron Man mm-hmm. um, you know and there well and there's a lot of other characters you know Amadeus Cho was your Hulk Bruce is dead yeah. and I mean you know and again I like Amadeus Cho and I think that was one of the one few exceptions where they did it right he had been around for years and established himself and then became a Hulk because God well here's why no go for it the comic company's been doing that with the superheroes forever absolutely when I was a kid Thor was not Thor it was right. Eric Masterson yeah that's right Thunderstrike yes Yes. And at the time, he was Thor in the books high rank. Right. Connor Hawk was Green Arrow. Yeah, exactly. Kyle Rayner was Green Lantern. It's always been that way, and fans didn't freak out about it. We all kind of understood to some degree. Well, there's two kinds of readers. There, was the, there was the ones who were like, well, this will change someday. Right. But I'm going to read this interesting story right now because it's exciting and, and different. And different. Then there was the people who like thought that that was permanent, was always going to be that way. Like right. the ones who were like, "Wait, isn't Superman dead? I thought he was dead. He died in a comic. I heard about it on the news. Whatever." There was always those people, right? Yes. But but the comics have done that for years. And I think the only thing that Marvel did wrong was they did them all at the same time. Exactly, that's right. And they did them yeah. in a uh, an atmosphere of which you had these um, sort of the two I, sides were vocal. Right. You had well, and you had this like Trump voters were by and large this the way the media has said it and and, and a lot of this is, is accurate is there are people who felt forgotten right and they finally had someone making their voice that this thing that they were saying I think we've been forgotten by capitalism which they're right they were that sure. is fair but they also it was, their grievance turned into wait we used to ru- we used to run the world what happened and so they were comfortable putting out grievances that a few years before would have been like, well, hold on, man, that's really racist, you know? Right. So you saw that in the comics. The timing was terrible. These grievance-based people who felt like they had been wounded had felt completely okay saying, you just want to get rid of the white guys. And you didn't spend any time. You made it about diversity just for diversity's sake, which is bullshit. Of course. But they were comfortable saying it. And, right. And... They, they rallied people around them, you know. So it, Marvel's in a position of bad timing, bad optics, and they're too far gone, they're too far on those, this story to change it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, see, the misunderstanding over Secret Empire is just on so many levels. It's true. It's like, it's it's comic book's version of how did World War One happen? It's like, well, there's about 12 things that all happen at the same time, and it's the worst timing. It's bad, bad timing. I'm with it. Yeah, I mean, and that was the other side, right? That was like the, the sort of far lefty fans being like, we are having real world problems with Nazis, and you made Cap a Nazi. The moment we need Cap, you made him a Nazi. Like, I understand that. Again, bad time. I've been here forever. I know that's going to go back. I knew that at the time. Well, and, and not the first time it's been done. Not the first time it's been done. But again, bad time. Bad time. Bad optics, bad. Like, and you, you, you've made, you know, you, you basically made a, a decision which was supposed to surprise people, and, and, and that's what you wanted. Right. You want to be provocative. Right. But, but too far. Right. Right. No, I get, no and I, again, not too far for me. I understand fiction, and yeah. I, I mean, I can watch me, Man in the that, High you know. Castle and not feel like, oh yeah. my God, this is a cultural shift. Oh, like, you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but these things are made for, like, it's, it's again, going back to why the direct mark sucks, people start fading away and forgetting about Cap. 
after a while. Sure. Okay, or Superman, or so you have to do these drastic things to shock people and reinterest them in the character. Absolutely. Which has been done for years. Absolutely. But the problem is sometimes you shock them and you piss them off. Right. Uh, ben Riley, the yeah, right. saga. Yeah, yeah, classic exactly. example. You know. Yeah. No, no, I'm with you, man. You're right. But it's just. But if we didn't have the drug market, we wouldn't be doing that. You would. If you had a different sort of. You were selling stories, right? Just right. You sell a collection or you sell a book. You just tell a good fucking Superman story and that'd be it. Like, you know, the, I was in Italy for uh, Luca. Yes. And uh, Benelli Comics has been putting out text for you know, 50 years or whatever. And, and uh, they don't have reboots of text. They don't have, we need to switch text up. Now he's a, this, like, they just tell text stories. I love text, there's a, by the way. There's a loose continuity associated with it. They do different formats. They do different sort of things. But they're not in this position because they don't sell books the way we sell books. Right? Like, oh, yeah, just, completely yeah. different. No, and it's, you know, all right, here's the first half of a story. Come yeah. back in three years and we'll give you chapter two. And they're like, yeah. okay. Yeah, or they'll do like, you know, they can do... Uh, Weekly comics, yeah, you we, know. Yeah, exactly. Text is a great example of that. Well, you know. and it, we just don't do that. Right. You know. and no, I do. I think it's too... You know, we can't change that. It, it's interesting to watch the way the comic well, we could change it, but it's a question of is it sustainable to introduce that different... Yeah. I mean, you know, they've they've tried weekly comics before. I remember I remember that in yeah. the nineties certainly, and you know, yeah. I mean, but and, then, and even more recently with the digital weeklies yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, but again, is it enough? And you know, to switch everything keep, over? No, they, they don't switch it over. They just try one thing, right? Like here's right. You can't you can't yeah. you can't. And this is another thing that Zub brought up, and you and you brought up at the party last week. Yeah, you can't. Just put your comic out through one platform yeah. and expect success. It can only be a digital thing. Even though you think that's from a cost-effective standpoint, that's the best yeah. way, you are hurting yourself. You got, you're, you're not advertising it with... It, the object is advertising your digital and other way around, right? Like, the release of the print is advertised for your digital. Your digital is advertising for your print. Like, we've... Again, is it all... Because we've tied everything together, right? Like, yeah. It's, and, and Jim and I have talked about this stuff because we're both uh, guys. Jim Terry? Uh, Jim Zeb. Oh, Jim Zeb. Oh, oh, Jim Zeb, excuse me. Well, we've talked about this cause in, in, the, in the past because we're both comic guys who make comics but who are interested in the business side. Of course. Uh, but like... Yeah, but that's the way you got to be. I mean, that's the other thing. You well, can't make comics with... Uh, I, hey, man, I wish I were a better businessman from a broadcast standpoint and a podcast standpoint. I'm trying. But yeah, it's more fun just to make the donuts and not right. have to worry about selling them. And, and in an ideal world, that's all I'd have to be. I'm with you, right. son. But, yeah. I'm not, but I, I, I don't live in that. Well, yeah, that world myself. doesn't exist right now, right. unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I, because I self-published through Image for years and because I've worked at it, obviously, I have probably more ground experience than a lot of comic creators do. You know? So, like, and, I, and that makes me more practical. So when I see, like, people get mad about stuff, I do have this thing of be like, well, I've been there, man. I've been there on the ground, and here's why it's fucked up. You know? Right. right. So maybe maybe that's bad. I don't know. It would be nice just to be an idealist and just be like, yeah, you're right. You know? <laughs> Well, let's get back to the books themselves. Now, you mentioned you mentioned your Vertigo series, and uh, uh, let's talk about that for a yeah, second. First How two came out uh, three weeks ago? Oh, that's awesome! All right, so yeah, give us the ten cent. You said X Files. Uh, the, well, the, the what's the ten cent? Imaginary Fiends, right? It's sort of inspired by the Slenderman case in Wisconsin, which there was just some news about that today. I saw that girl got. Oh, I didn't know that. She got sentenced to um, uh, basically like. 
uh, parole, but with mental health uh, checkups like for 35 years, basically. Which that's like John Hickley, man. Right, no, yeah, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, but um, but the book is sort of inspired by that. Uh, but it's this girl who. Um, had a married friend when she was a little kid, and she and her, a good friend of hers, uh, sort of venerated this this person and would listen to whatever she told her. And so she, the main character Melba, at ten years old or twelve years old, ended up uh, attacking her friend and and um, stabbing her. Wow. Which she believes was she was manipulated by this imaginary, imaginary friend. friend. Yeah. So she goes to uh, prison for this. She goes to a mental health institution. Uh, and while she's there on her 18th birthday, she gets a visit uh, this guy, and he basically says, "You're right. There are imaginary friends, but they're not what you think they are. They're basically these uh, interdimensional uh, beings who they don't have forms, so they take the form that you give them by sort of. And the more attention you give them, the more they become solid and be able to affect the world. So we need your help to see them because you saw one. But we also need your imaginary friend. So she has to bring her fr- her imaginary friend is this character called Polly Peach Pit. This is like." really creepy sort of spider girl <laughs> and she has to she gets out of jail to go look for Polly these other, with, oh. with, with Polly to look for other imaginary friends who have manipulated people okay so the first story is about this small town they go to where there's been a kidnapping uh, and uh, the kid is on a basically a federal imaginary friend watch list because he posts drawings of his imaginary friend online so they have to go look you know, for this kid who's disappeared and figure out what okay. caused this thing. So, so Polly's in on the investigation. She is, she is forced to work with, Melba's forced to work with Polly because they need her. She can see the right. other the other, pe- other people and stuff. So, But Polly is willing to investigate she needs the good? Or she needs, if Melba forgets her, she dies. Ah, so, so she needs her to exist. She has to, to exist. To Interesting. Yeah, so it's like a, you know, basically it's kind of, kind of like X-Files sort of meets uh, Silence, of the the, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If your Hannibal Lecter was a hovering spider woman. Right, so yeah, you, you know. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Very, very good, it's too. Good. Yeah, it's a good idea. I really Tim, like you, always, man. <laughs> Seriously. I, but I, like the, the first issue is the best reviewed thing I've ever done. It's and a good it's, high it, concept, it's, man. It's, it's the pushing people to... <laughs> To check out Vertigo books is, is difficult. Well, that's what I was going to say, and I wanted to know because they've, you know, Karen Karen was kind of forced out, might be a strong word, but kind of, yeah, this is about as far as you're going to go. And also, maybe it was time anyway, but regardless, and then they lose Shelly, and sure. they lose, uh, who else did they lose? They lost somebody else. Maybe Will and, and Yeah, well, that's right, Will Dennis, maybe, certainly. So the way that, and, and I kind of come in on this later, and I worked with Shelly on, on Effigy. Yes, yes. And it, she's awesome. I love, seriously, man. I was about to say I love her and I don't want to be creepy. I have a lot of respect for her. I love her as an editor. And then she has a great talent. Very excited for what she's doing Uh, at IDW. Well, and so, you know, now I'm coming to this. They wanted to, you know, kind of start Vertigo back up and and do kind of what Vertigo used to do. I'm working with Molly Mahan and Mark Doyle. Great. uh, And Amadeo Totoro. And, like, DC's, like, really working on putting some effort back into Vertigo. I think... There was a while I just didn't know what Vertigo was. Right? Absolutely. Like, I think it was like, uh, you know, if we're going to focus on the superheroes that, that that make us all our money and what we're known for, what is the function of Vertigo in that scenario? And I think they struggled a little bit to figure that out. And now they know. And Doyle 
has worked his entire career to be the guy at Vertigo. That's what he always wanted. Oh, interesting. I had no idea. And he's great at it. I mean, he's really like... This so is, he, was really doing, he was doing American Vampire with Snyder. And yeah, he was an editor there. Then they brought him in to be an editor on Batman stuff. Right, of course. Yes. And But his, his goal always was to go back and do Vertigo. And so interesting. They, so they did. They, That's great. Um, and so, like, this... Vendor Fiends is kind of like a, you know, this sort of first pushback into doing what Vertigo used to do. But they're, they're going to put some cool stuff. They've got uh, Josh Williamson is doing a book there called Deathbed. Um, there's, uh, I loved Unfollow, and I don't know if Unfollow is still going on or not, Rob Williams. I think it just it wrapped, but um, that was a pretty successful book from the last. Yeah, the last iteration of Vertigo, certainly. Yeah, but I mean, I think. That's not what I did. You know, it. This is the stuff we we need, right? We need yes, we need Marvel and DC to be making non-superhero sort of universe books. We need them to be because these are the things, like you and I said in the beginning. This is the stuff that sells to those fans later. The trade of Imaginary Fiends will probably sell more than any of my other trades at DC, but it's going to take a while. Right. Because right. this audience, that horror audience, is going to come in later. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, Sandman and everything that was, you know, for, uh, Preacher and things like that. Yeah. Lucifer. Yeah. They're you all know. trade successes. Right. Uh, I mean, you're Bullets, always... Scalped. Yeah. You know. Exactly. Uh, American Vampire. American so. Vampire, certainly. Absolutely. So I hope people check it out. I hope people buy it in, in single issues. Um, because I'm really happy with it, and I think there's a lot of cool shit in there. And um, Stephen Molnar is drawing it; he's amazing, cool. Um, so it's it's the book I always wanted to do because it's sexy and creepy, but it's serious, right? I, I don't. It's not like like we basically take it serious. There's some weird funny shit, it, but it's not like Hexage was, you know. Me making, having a good time and making fun yeah, of shit. Yeah, tongue in cheek, absolutely, yeah. man. And revival, well, that's for the series too. But well, yeah, but didn't yes. have any monsters in it. So. True. Yes. <laughs> so I get to do a serious book with monsters in it, which makes me happy. So that's why. I mean, and the imaginary friends are like, you know, they're named like kids would name them. Right. So Polly Peach Pit and Charlie Choke Cherry, and then there's one called the the Key Lime Frogman, which is like, you know, like of the, course they're little weird kid things. Sure. Key Lime, Key Lime Frogman came from my nephew, uh, who made. Up. He he's decided he told his dad he was gonna change his name to Keyline Batman because his two favorite things were Keyline Pie and Batman. <laughs> so I used it. I was like, I gotta use. That's I, didn't use I couldn't use Batman, so I used. Yeah, it. no, that's good though. Keyline Frogman, and I'll, and makes sense from a color scheme standpoint. I love Keyline Pie. <laughs> you and my, so nephew. my nephew and I, yeah, we'll go out yeah, there with Keyline Pie. And you like Batman too? So you that's guys really have a lot to talk about, dude. Sit down. Meet <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Suntress. He's gonna creep you out for an hour. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's excellent, man. No, and uh, and are you enjoying uh, Green Lantern? I do. I so I. It's a weird job for me because I wasn't. It's the first thing I've worked on as far as super stuff that I wasn't really a Green Lantern person. I wasn't. A, you know, no. I mean, like you know, I, I read it. Like maybe I was nineteen, twenty. I read it when uh, Mar- Mar- on Mars was doing it I, w- I was sure. checking out just talk to Mars yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> and I loved him in Morris's JLA sure like, that was really yes Rainer was very stuff. interesting in JLA I agree Grant's take on uh, Rainer but yeah, I didn't. Uh, it's just not something I'm like super invested in the history and all that sort of thing. But the idea of of this book, which is you know two people forced to work together to be Green Lanterns, and one of them is uh, a Latin woman with um, 
anxiety, and the other one is a Muslim guy with a, a rap sheet. Like, I could get behind. I was really interested in that idea. Cool, cool. So, but I mean, the hardest thing about Greenlanders is, so far, has been there's a learning curve to it, and I'm trying really hard. Big universe, yeah. Yeah, but I'm also like. There's some really hardcore traditional fans like that I'm not gonna make happy. I just, just okay, not. all right. It's that thing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be that guy. I'm gonna piss a bunch of people off. I'm trying okay. not to. I'm trying to make a book, you know, that I think they like. But I cannot. I'm already getting like this. This is the, the like when I get comments about this book, it's either like I love this. I totally like. I totally get that character, or it's like. Celia's ruining the Green Lanterns universe. Like, it's, it's well, the first time traditional, I've ever What traditional Green Lantern characters show up in your book? If I mean, any. none so far. I mean, okay. well, I mean, like, you know, John and, and Hal are in it. Right, they're mentors to But I used Balfunga. That's not true, because I did use Balfunga. The, you know Balfunga from the Alan Moore story? Oh, I forgot. No, tell me. Uh, so there's this character that's, Balfunga. Is that the Oa? Is that, or uh, uh, Mogo? Mogo does, yeah, Mogo doesn't socialize. Right. I, I did a story about... Oh, is, she the, is, is he or she the Green Lantern? The that, Bal, that, no, I, so Balfunga is this guy who... He, in the, in he tells the Mogo story? Yeah, he tells us. He goes to, to um, the planet. The planet. He wants to fight Mogo. He's heard that he's the greatest ah. planner. He doesn't realize he's a planet, right? right? This right, is an right. Alan Moore story. Right. No, I know the but, story. Yeah, Bofunga yeah, yeah. was this blowhard. He's red. He's this blowhard sort of um, just big talker guy. Yeah, kind of alien, yeah. like I'm the baddest guy. Like yeah. like, a, like another Lobo, basically. Right? Yeah, basically. Like a pre-Lobo Lobo, basically. But... Uh, I really wanted to do a story about him that was kind of like a Coen Brothers story. Like, he's the shitty criminal, the little criminal, and he gets involved with a real criminal, like a okay. scary... You know what I mean? That's yes. the, Coen, the Coen Brothers thing, is always like a, a guy who breaks the law and then is desperate because he has to deal with people who are good at this, right? Right. That's, and so this is, that was the story I wanted to do. No, I'm with you. And I had a really good time with it. Cool. Uh, basically, he has a lawyer who gets him out, but he finds that the lawyer is Satan, basically. Oh. Uh, <laughs> she's a walking black hole named Singularity Jane. That's, okay. That's, that's the character I made up. That's she's, awesome. It's basically like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, she's a collapsed star who basically, like, can manipulate things like Satan, you know, like this sort of, but anyway. But it was interesting to see people's reaction to that story. Yeah, why would that, what was the problem? Well, because, uh, was like, that the only story that he had ever appeared in? The no, story? he appeared in other ones. Go other on. people used him. Uh, okay. Dave Gibbons used him again. He okay. drew that story, but he used him when he was writing it. And then uh, there was a recent sort of story where he was in it. Um, but like they took him kind of seriously. They made him a badass. Which, oh, I can't. To me, I the original story was about he was faking that entire thing, right? He he was bragging about all these things he'd ever done. It was like that's he didn't ever comment. Do those things. Yeah, yeah, he's comment. So so my story was it's all revealed that he did none of these things he said he did. You know, like that, that and he was just this blowhard idiot. He was playing a character. He didn't really talk that way. He was just playing this character to get a reputation, whatever. But I was surprised, like. Either people had never heard of that character and didn't know what I was doing, or they were like, you ruined it. <laughs> Which I didn't think I did. I th- I, to me, that's exactly You made the him way. interesting. Well, you gave him a third dimension. But Elmore, I think, implied that already, I think. I mean, I guess maybe that's what I read into it. Uh, I understand. But so this has been interesting to me because I'm not used to that kind of, you know, there's a minutia. passion for, yeah, for a passion for minutia, which I'm not, you know, I'm a pretty big nerd, and I've read a million comics. Sure. I don't know 
the new shit. Nor do I care if you change it. Like, I love He-Man stuff. I don't know. I don't know that much about all that stuff. I don't remember the names of everything. I mean, I know all the toys, but I, I just I've never been that guy. I hear. I just am not that guy. I like stories. That's all. Right. That's all I care about. Sure. You know, like good stories, and that's good characters. Whatever I, else. I agree. But I'm finding I'm not like a lot of the readers. <laughs> so we'll see. I hope they give me a chance. I hope they like the next story. I hope they get what I'm trying to do with it. But, you know, it's been education. And that's, that book, that's part of the reason I'm, uh, I had a mental health day today. And I'm drinking a beer at fucking 1 o'clock at Rockwell's. <laughs> just because I, I just couldn't... I couldn't, like, people, you know, I mean, partially it's social media and have people having access, but, like, people just telling me, like, I fucked up this character so bad, and just, like, what the hell, you know? I mean, I'm sure there's many more people who are just reading it and are, like, fine, you know, and they're, or they're happy and they enjoyed it, but, you know, I remember the ones where people are like, you fucked this character up for life, you know? Like, so that's why I'm drinking before Christmas. <laughs> I'd like to point out, it's well into the afternoon. It's not like we're, you know, this is this isn't a bad Burkowski, uh, you know, Burkowski story yet. Exactly, you know. So it's not as sad as it may seem. Yeah, it's okay. He's fine. He's smiling right now. Yeah. So, but I mean, it is. Yeah, it's it is interesting. Part of it, you know, no, of course and, like, it is. Nightwing was too because talk about that. I, that's I wanted to get back to the run and also obviously the Grayson stuff, which we talked about before. You had a really long run with Dick Grayson, so yeah, I go have, on. And I, I mean, I and I loved that character's kid. He was one of the first action figures I ever got was Robin. I mean, I've always what loved kid? Robin. What kid doesn't love yeah. Bucky and Robin? Exactly. They're your entry point. Absolutely. And you grow up with them. You, yes. Every generation. And you grows and up. you and you recognize yourself and or what you'd like to be. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. You get to hang out back, right? Yes. That's like exactly. So I love that character. I here's what the, the idea behind Grayson was: the guy who is friends with everyone, who's lived his life with Batman gets to use those skills but he doesn't get to be with his friends he's on his own right right, right. and so what does the character do when he's out of the when cult? he's on his own in a yes. world that isn't his that he doesn't live in he's himself that that was the point of the story he stays himself his world is changed right? yes yes I loved that series I love that series as well <laughs> no it was so, decided Dick Grayson yeah. he got to be his own man in a way he never did before yeah. because that was the you know bad, the bad editorial office always was at the end of the day if we got a fifth week event I don't care what he's doing in Bloodhaven Nightwing's showing up and we're gonna have this and, he, and I know that drove Dick Grayson fans crazy yeah but people Tom and I we talked about this our first year on that book was every con we went to was I wanted to hate this but I think it's great like everyone wanted to hate it right yeah again we talked about this people change no things. I love it man no, but yeah. people like things comics has to change things keep it exciting yes and, yes it eventually comes back to whatever we knew eventually he'd go back probably to to Nightwing it was much faster than we thought we thought we'd get a couple years out of doing this we, we were going to grow him sort of in this spy world kind of make him like this um, he would eventually kind of become like the, the nice Nick Fury of the DC universe sure that's like what I was this, like we, we, that was the idea eventually but rebirth so we right. made him Nightwing and I still love the character sure but the problem, I, I, I think for me, the entire... Uh, I never figured out why Nightwing. And I never figured... You know, period. Like, when he's Nightwing and Teen Titans, it makes sense. He grew up um, as a with a group of guys, with a group of t uh, um, superheroes. 
and they all grew up together and he becomes Nightwing because he grew up with these people and this reflects who he is now that makes sense Nightwing in his own book running around Bloodhaven even when Chuck did it I never really understood why why did and partially partially Chuck made Dick into Daredevil right he had his Hell's Kitchen Bloodhaven uh which is even sort of a parody of Hell's Kitchen, right? Sure. Bloodhaven and whatever. He gave him his own uh, kingpin. He gave him all this sort of, you know, which it worked. Fans loved it. Sure. I never quite got it. I never quite understood it. So, though I loved the character, I didn't understand the scenario. So working on Nightwing, the hardest thing for me was, how do I make Bloodhaven and Kingpin work for me and the identity of Nightwing? Why is he doing this? And that was hard. I mean, it was it was hard for me to do because interesting, because I I didn't always have the greatest answer to why. You know, like I I knew why because the fans loved it. Right. Sure. You know. But I mean, for me, as a story, why? And I, I kind of danced around it. I think I figured it out to some degree by the end. Good. But I don't think I ever... I, I, I still don't quite understand why Nightwing. Why, why does he wear this? Why did he move to a city that isn't Gotham? I mean, it doesn't... To me, it's, it's not quite 100% the character. You know, the, the character yeah. of Grace. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, in the no, end, that's I, interesting know, though. Yeah. I mean, again, and that uh, obviously it, uh, it influences your take on him. Yeah. That you know, yeah, he kind of explores a different part of what makes him Dick Grayson. Yeah, and it, it just so it had to be. I had to make it about you know things that maybe like I didn't want to do. A, a crime epic thing like Daredevil. I didn't want to do like he spends two years trying to bring down Kingpin. I mean Blockbuster. I didn't want to do right, that. You know, right. like I just so I made it about different things than that. You know, and I I, I also didn't like that Bloodhaven was just Hell's Kitchen, right? Like it was just a shitty, it's a shittier Gotham, really. A shittier Gotham. I just didn't like. It. I like, always felt. Yeah. yeah. Gotham should be the scariest city. Of course. Of course. It, there shouldn't be a city scarier than Gotham. Right. So. Um, but, uh, but for me, I had to make it interesting for me, which was, I thought Bloodhaven should be a place you wanted to stay, because it's it's cool, it's trying to redefine itself. It, Almost gentrified or whatever? Or? Not gentrified, but like, it had been this sort of industrial city and all the jobs went away. Right, right like Pittsburgh or yeah. Gary, Indiana, stuff like that. And to fix it, they turn into a tourism city. They, they try to make themselves Las Vegas, right? Ah. But then they had to deal with all the things that come with that. Sure. Right? So it kind of went in Atlantic, in Atlantic City sort of route. I basically made it Atlantic City by way of Chicago. Sure. It's basically that was yeah, the casinos really came into Chicago and really yeah, as opposed to what we have right now. Exactly. And that was the, the idea, right? And so it's trying to sell this family fun face. Like bring your bring your family to the Blood Haven. Scary name for a great place. And uh, but there's this underbelly because there's money. There's money coming in. And you know that was kind of the the idea that I wanted to to explore there. And I, I got some chances to do it, but like you know, I mean, I guess a regret is I didn't get to dive. Is part of the the thing with doing these six issue arcs is like you would take him out of Gotham for six issues, right? Or I mean, sorry, out of Bloodhaven for six issues because it would be like you know. 
we wanted to do a Damien story. We wanted to do uh, some of that tied into metal. We wanted to do this, like you know. And it's surprising how quickly 34 issues goes by, and you go, shit, I didn't spend, I didn't, Interesting. I never got to work. I had this idea for the mayor, the character. I only used him twice. 34 issues. I just, I never got a chance. And he was, you know, like, so that part is, you know, that's it's tough to, to sort of deal with your own expectations and, and creatively what you want to do and then look at it and go, well, I did these things. I gave him a great villain. So he got Raptor. I've, I've yes. accomplished that. Yes. Other things, you know, I'm looking back at it now and going, okay, well, here's what I think was successful and here's what I think was. Would you want to go back to the character at some point? Oh, yeah. I mean, yes. Obviously, you have more to say. So. Yeah, I just, I would do something. I don't, I don't know that I would do a Bloodhaven crime story or something. I, I just Not don't think I would. Okay. I mean, it's just... I've seen it. Right. No, I agree. No, and I, and I think that is, that's the tug of war that I think every creator has putting a character, like, I'm not even going to say, but there was a writer that was doing Batman, a writer-artist, who was doing perfectly fine Batman stories, but we'd seen him before. There was nothing really new to the character, and that's why Snyder's stuff really popped when it did. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, and I mean, that's what you need sometimes. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's a gamble. Rick Remender takes Captain America to Planet Z or whatever the hell it was called and it pisses a lot of people off yeah. but sometimes you need a, a palate cleanser to okay. get and, and take the, the and just like you guys did with Grayson and everything yeah. take him out of his element because that sometimes is also the most interesting character if you can't be yeah. Robin if you can't be Nightwing yeah. who is Dick Grayson yeah, I love same, with, same thing with Thor what uh, Jason was doing with you know if Jane Foster is Thor that's what you know alright so what is the Odin son if he can't be Thor mm-hmm. who is he no those are good stories uh, uh, Born Again Kingpin destroys Matt Murdock yeah. And destroy, destroys Daredevil and Machmar. He's got to build himself back again. Who am I? Exactly. But the, and and the, it's that weird sort of thing that you you, you have to, to tug a war with is readers don't want something they've seen before, but they don't want something new either. Right. So they you, say they don't want it, that they get bored with it, but it's, well, again, it, I keep making the McDonald's and Burger King metaphors, and it's yeah. like, you know, hey, I, I came in for a Whopper. I didn't come in for a steak. Yeah. You know, yeah. or a Crepe Suzette. <laughs> but it, and, and, you know, again, like going to that sort of, you don't deal with this in, in like the French or Italian markets because you're not putting out a thing every week with the same character or multiple titles or whatever and getting mired in continuity that you have to refer to because the, like you just, we don't do that, right? Uh, so, and, you know, it ends up being... I think it just ends up being tough to to ride that line. I want it to be new. I want it to be old. Like, where... You know? Yeah, yeah. no, I understand. It's tough. How's the double shipping? Hard. I bet. The hardest thing about the double shipping... I like having the work, right? I like the... Sure. The two paychecks for one book I'm on. No question. I like the speed at which I'm able to get to things, you know? What I think is the hardest part about it was uh, and is is planning so like if you have to do two issues of the same storyline in a month right you have to know your whole storyline pretty well sure start. where you're going yeah and you just may not have as much time to do that as you need and if something changes like when we were doing a Nightwing um, there was a 
basically like we were set up this crossover thing and we couldn't end up couldn't end up using the characters so we had to change while three issues were already written and I just had to go back and rewrite them um, quick so the artist could start start drawing and that means I then the next week had another script due for the fourth part right yeah I mean, I, I, I didn't have any time. I, I, where was I going to plan the time for to make the rest of this story that had changed completely? Landing was now gone. Wow. Which happens in comics all the time, right? Of course. But you have a month, right? Right, as opposed to two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So And you're rewriting. So rewriting three issues in, in one week to write the next one in the next week, it's hard, man. There's, there's a lot of... I mean, it's, you stumble around a little bit, you know? Like, sure. Unless you had everything... Absolutely figured out, and nothing changed. It was kind of hard. Well, that's you know, with Marvel and 18 issues a year, as some books have gone. Yeah. I I mean, I saw Brubaker burn out. You know, and we all did. And I mean, that's the thing. He's like, no, I'm done. Uh, I know Fraction has no interest in uh, ever coming back. Really? Well, yeah, because he likes controlling his own characters. And again, you know, I mean, that's that's the thing. I I like your attitude about licensed books. Sure. And uh, and we've that's come up again. You can you can feel free to you know amplify I mean, that right now. Mine. They're not mine. So I do the job, and I do the best I can. But I don't I don't have a uh, I'm not that's telling it. my opus right through you know through Hulk or something. Sure. I, I'm going to tell a cool story about about Deadpool or or. Dick or whatever, Ant Man. Yeah, Ant Man doesn't matter. Whatever it is, I will do it. But I, and if they want me to change, I'll change it because it's their stuff. It's their stuff, not mine. I have my own shit to go. You know. Yeah, yeah. But and the, that you know, and it was, and clearly you just described, despite that feeling and knowing that it's their stuff, you obviously you know you do you do put yourself in a dick race, and obviously you do. Absolutely. And you're doing it with the Green Lanterns and everything, so you know. Absolutely. I mean, you know, like from. The, the easy thing about writing Green Lanterns is the character Jessica has anxiety disorder, so do I. So I, and, and you know, I can really get into that. I can really spend a lot of time in that. I, I've lived with this my whole life. I, you know, I, and I, so I am putting myself in it, but I'm not going to put myself so much into it that I die if it changes. Or, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm just, I'm not giving up my life for this. I'm doing it the best I can. Right. You know. but yeah, I, I get, you know, Ed and, and Matt like getting burned out on it. I get it. Yeah. But and that's my that is my concern. I mean, I appreciate as a consumer knowing, hey, every two weeks, you know, yeah. my book's coming out, and that's great. Again, I'm drinking on a Friday. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I know, buddy. Christmas, you know. But I mean, just again, I needed I needed to take the day. I just couldn't. No, I appreciate you know, it, man. Like just, uh, my, I was losing. It. I was losing. It. I just, ah. you know. But it's fine. I'll I'll be fine. Gotta relax. Holiday will come. There you go. And then I'll be back to it on on, on Monday. I'll be you know, Excellent. Tuesday. Uh, I hear you, man. I'll be back writing Green Lanterns. I'll, it'll be fine. I'll get it done. Do my best. I'll turn it in on time. Someone will draw it. Well, I want I want you to use the rest of the day to relax. Is there anything else you want to cover before we uh, wrap up? Because I think we're at a good point now where we All could right, wrap good. up. I'm good. Yeah, I've, I've talked. Unless you have any other questions, I, I feel like I've ranted. Yeah, there's uh, there's always more time, Tim. Honestly, it, it's it's as I tell you every time, and I mean this. 
I always feel this kinship with you because I was starting Word Balloon when shit was starting to really happen for you and sure, everything. Yeah, yeah. So it's been fun watching what you do. I, I love the high concepts that you're bringing to your original work, and I think you're doing the same thing with your licensed work as well. Thank so you. keep it up. Thank you, John. And keep on, keep on Word Ballooning. We need you. Ah, <laughs> uh, my guy. See? I, I mean it, man. I, I really love a lot of the Chicago uh, creators that I've gotten to know in these 12 years of doing Word Balloon. And it's so wonderful to watch their careers blossom and thrive. And uh, we're going to have another uh, Chicago talk in uh, the days ahead. And uh, it might be pretty obvious who another guy is that I'll be talking to. But uh, it was great to catch up with Tim and hopefully uh, take away some of that uh, burnout feeling and just... Uh, weariness that he was feeling on Friday, but uh, I, I, he was very animated during the conversation. We laughed a lot, and I hope you enjoyed it. Steve Seely on today's Word Balloon, and of course, or pardon me, Tim Seely on today's uh, Word Balloon, and uh, I love Steve, his brother, as well. We're not talking to Steve. That's not who I'm hinting about as the next guest, but uh, Steve Bryan as well. Maybe that's the reason why I'm combining the two as well, but I hope you enjoyed today's conversations. It was a lot of fun talking to them, and I thought a nice uh, way to uh, spend Christmas weekend with uh, some of my Illinois comic book uh, creating buddies. Today's Word Balloon brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Uh, there are more great books that are available from InStock Trades. You can get uh, Batman Arkham, the Joker's Daughter, and this is by Bob Rosakis and Irv Novick. And uh, these are the stories of Dula Dent, a tremendous character back in the day. Uh, that uh, I think was really fun to watch. And uh, these are the various iterations of the Joker's Daughter over the years. Uh, it's 45% off, $10.99 for this wonderful volume. You can also get things like The Guardians of the Galaxy. This is Volume 2, Riders of the Sky, Jerry Duggan and Fraser Irving doing the art. Chris Somney is in there, Greg Smallwood is in there, Mike Hawthorne, a lot of other great uh, artists as well. And uh, this is 45% off, $9.89. It's been a long time since I've talked to Jerry Duggan. And uh, we keep touching base at conventions. And he's got a great new image series coming up uh, in 2018. And when it's time to talk about that, expect a return uh, for Jerry to Word Balloon. There's uh, Batman, Detective Comics. And uh, this uh, is uh, James uh, Tinian and Alvaro Martinez doing the art. And is this, uh, this is uh, 957 through uh, 962 of Detective Comics. Uh, there's uh, stuff going on with Azrael and the Order of St. Dumas. And uh, it sounds like it's another great story that uh, James, James does a great job on uh, Detective. I uh, happen to pick up the most recent uh, Superman issue, and it dovetails into what he's been doing with Tim Drake over in Detective Comics. Really neat stuff. Uh, the Batman uh, stuff has never been in better hands than it is right now, and James Tinian is a, is a classic example of that from a writer's standpoint, and Alvaro Martinez and the others are uh, doing a great job on the art side as well. 45% off, $9.34 from In Stock Trades. There's lots more great books at great prices. Check them out, InStockTrades.com. Thanks for listening to Word Balloon. Thank you for supporting Word Balloon. Merry Christmas. Uh, if you don't celebrate Christmas, you know, uh, those of us who do uh, think of uh, our friends as much as our family and uh, you as the Word Balloon audience are certainly friends to me. So thank you for uh, sharing time with me and listening to these conversations as you do each time I release a new Word Balloon episode. I know I'm a few days beyond uh, my usual week. 
between episodes. I apologize. I will make up for it in that uh, dead period. Everyone takes that week off between Christmas and New Year's. Not word balloon. We got stuff coming up. Don't worry about it. This isn't the final show of the year. Like you might hear some other podcasters do. I got to take a break. I'm so busy. I can't do this. (sighs) No, sorry. I'm working radio and I'm working word balloon over the holidays. And I'm happy to be here uh, providing you guys and women entertainment as you go off on your uh, holiday break. Hey, man. I want to be uh, the sound wallpaper while you're out, like I said, doing that post-Christmas shopping or catching up with friends and uh, before you go into the movies and stuff. I saw uh, Last Jedi. I'll talk about it on the next episode. And I've got an Art and Franco uh, conversation coming up about that movie uh, because they're the biggest Star Wars fans that I know. And uh, believe me, I'll share it all with you right here on Word Balloon. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2017. Merry Christmas.